shelf already? I'm clogged and I'm, I'm set up in the corner of my bedroom because I live in a tiny little apartment right now. So that's why I got the green screen to hide. I need to get bed. a green screen for my Twitch channel where I read <laughs> stories to people. <laughs> I want to do that now. You, you've convinced me. I think it's a Man, good I, I really tried hard. I said, hey, you should read stories on Twitch. <laughs> oh, well. That's a great idea. Man. <laughs> but you need to follow your wife's advice and do it shirtless. Yes, shirtless. I have to get a six-pack first, so maybe I'll I'm going to start, like, being a boob streamer because I, <laughs> <laughs> I got man boobs, you know? <laughs> you made my headphones fall off. You, you, you got, you've got meatloaf moves <laughs> from Fight Club. Fat guy thought. <laughs> Dude, there's probably a lot of people out there that would watch that. I'm not even going to lie. I'm going to be shirtless, man boobs, and a Viking beard. <laughs> I'll take a look. I'm doing it. Welcome back to another episode of the Salty Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, the Salty Nerd, and today's episode, we're going to be discussing the pinnacle of all nerd geekdom, the Star Wars original trilogy. That's right, everybody. On George Lucas's birthday, we're going to be talking about the OG, the Ridge Tridge. <laughs> wow. Yikes. <laughs> trying way too hard, though. And I am joined... Just trying some new things. Just go with I'm it. I'm joined by my illustrious co-hosts. Matthew Kadish, author extraordinaire. Welcome, Matt. Hello. How are you doing today? Doing good. Ready, Ready to talk, talk about some Star Wars. Hell yeah. For the month of May. George Lucas's birthday, which we totally planned. We're going to tell mm-hmm. everybody that we totally planned. Yeah, we're recording this on George Lucas's <clears throat> birthday. Indeed. Celebrating his pinnacle achievement. We had cake. <laughs> fudge. And chips. Peanut butter fudge. <laughs> and I'm, alcohol. I'm also, we always have alcohol. <laughs> I'm also joined by Jude. Welcome, Jude, to the show. Hi. Welcome to Star Wars Month for Thank the you. first time. Yeah, you were like, I don't want to do anything except for the original trilogy. Stop telling people that I hate Star Wars. <laughs> I'm not a hater. She just loves the purist. best. She loves the best Star Wars. That's I like right. that. Purists. <laughs> Cheers to that. My cup never runs empty. To George. To George. <laughs> Tap. I'm just drinking water. <laughs> I'm also joined by the Dark Lord himself, Matt Vader, 74. What's up, buddy? My tooth hurts. <laughs> Have you gone to the dentist? No, yet? tomorrow. Did you get the Coke I asked for? No, no Coke? No, I gave him essential oils. Oh, perfect. He says it wasn't the same. <laughs> yeah, I've been burping it up. <laughs> And then, yeah, and then he accused me of being a witch doctor. <laughs> so <laughs> you are a witch doctor. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to let everybody know that if you love this podcast, you can go to saltynerdvideo.com and you can check out our YouTube video. You can like and subscribe all the videos that you see there because they're all awesome. And we have a ton of new content hitting your YouTube feed daily. So go to saltynerdvideo.com or just saltynerd.com. And you can check out all the stuff that we have available on uh, whatever platform you prefer. That being said, let's get straight into it. Star Wars. George Lucas's birthday. The original trilogy. The trilogy that changed everything for everybody. And I mean everybody. <laughs> uh, what is your experience, Matthew Kadish, with the original trilogy? Tell me how it has changed your life. It was the driving factor for me wanting to become a filmmaker. And working in Hollywood, 
So um, there's that. Pretty big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's funny because when I was very young, my dad was stationed in Germany. And so, you know, um, when I was out there, my only exposure to Star Wars was because it came out the year before I was born in theaters. So uh, a friend of ours sent like a bunch of VHS tapes with like American programming to us when we were in Germany. So they recorded a lot of cartoons and kid-friendly stuff for me and my brothers to watch while we were stationed out there. And uh, they sent us a bootleg copy of A New Hope. And for the longest time, I thought that was the only Star Wars movie. And it was one of the only English language movies we had. So I must have watched that thing like a hundred times growing up while we were over in Germany. And then when we got back to the States, I found out there were two more. I was like, no way. And uh, I saw Empire and that blew my mind. And uh, Jedi, Return of the Jedi, even though it's not as good as the other three, it was still like, you know, it was the climax. It was the end of the saga. And um, just growing up, like I'd consume every piece of Star Wars content I could. I'd read all the books. I collect the comic books and watch the cartoon shows and all that good stuff. And, uh, did you watch the, uh, the Christmas special? I did not watch the Christmas special. <laughs> um, but it wasn't because I didn't want to watch the Christmas special. It was just, I never knew when it was on. And I think they only aired it once. So, and I was a kid, so I couldn't like seek it out. We can watch it tonight if you want to. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> As I matured into a older geek, I guess you could say, um, I began researching like, you know, the story behind the making of the original Star Wars and what went into the special effects. And it's very rare to find like a movie that actually changes the way movies are made. And that was something that Star Wars did. And um, it was so influential, not just on me, but on so many different people and on an entire industry. And it's just, it's something that you know, you watch these movies today and they still hold up. Oh, yeah. They absolutely. still hold up. Uh, you know, like you can watch something like The Black Hole, like we've talked about <laughs> on the show before, and it's absolutely, it doesn't hold up. No, no. It's very 70s. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but these movies, like, you know, you're watching them, you're just like, even though they got like the 70s haircuts and all that stuff, there's something about these movies that are just timeless and they're, they're so well made that uh, um, I think, they still inspire people to this day when, when they finally get around to seeing them. At least I hope so. I never thought about anything in the original Star Wars that you could tell that it was made in the 70s. I don't see 70s haircuts or 70s fashion or anything like that in those movies at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons they do hold up as well as they do, you know? So I mean, there are some... Like mustaches, yeah, mustaches <laughs> oh, yeah. and mop tops and feathery, you know, feather hair and stuff like that. Yeah. But overall, you are right. It is a very, they did a really great job of making it like an alien universe, an alien world that doesn't really mesh with ours. It's so distant and and just great adventure. But but it is funny. Like when when we re- rewatched Rogue One, uh, they recreated all like the, oh, yeah. the hairstyles and the facial hair and all that stuff, and it just it felt like Star Wars because Star Wars just had that kind of like early 80s, late 70s sensibility to it. Um, but they did a really good job of kind of divorcing it from its time and making it stand on its own. Yeah. Jude, what's your, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what's your experience with the original trilogy? Why, specifically, I want to know why you you didn't really care to be too involved in the other two episodes with about Star Wars, but this one you were like, no, I want to talk about the original trilogy. So what is it about the original trilogy that sets it apart from everything else? 
Um, I think one of the reasons why it's, it, it is so timeless, why it still holds up is that because first and foremost, it's a supernatural show. It's a fantasy show. So it takes the time out of it. It's in some galaxy, not here, some time, not now. And it kind of relieves you of having to place it somewhere. So um, it is timeless and it does still hold up. Um, I didn't have the experience with this that was uh, so earth shattering that I think the rest of you did, but it's, it's not something that blows my mind, but it is something that to me still holds up and is still quality. And the prequels just don't for me. And I find them laughable and uncharming. Damn. <laughs> they are. The, the storytelling is not as puzzling or interesting. It doesn't keep my attention. It's just a, it's kind of like a loose puzzle piece that you just, you found a bunch of them laying in a corner of a room and you went, oh, here they are. Let me just shove those in that puzzle real quick. And now you have a full story, but it, it doesn't endear me to the story at all. It's these three movies I think are kind of, it's, it's set apart from the rest of it. And I think that the, the prequels, um, it, it didn't add to it for me. And uh, it was just sort of, I think people get so bananas about Star Wars in general that they'll just eat up anything put in front of them. And, and that's, that's not uh, a dig on, on any of you. But uh, for me, I, I don't know. It's just not, um, the, the prequels are, are just not something good. that I, yeah, they're not good. I'm sorry. I was trying to dance around it, but yeah, no, they're not sugarcoated. This they're is not, not the good. sugarcoated salty. They're not good. The storytelling is not good. The okay. writing is not good. Um, so when did you see the original? It's not believable. When did, when did you get hooked on those? Okay. So the first one came out in 77 yes. and I know that I saw it. I don't remember when I saw it. Um, cause I was a baby when this came out. So I know that when I saw it was probably, um, when I was a child and it was playing on TV. Mm-hmm. So probably several years after it came out, I do remember when, um, Return of the Jedi, um, it was 83, right? Guys? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I do remember when that one came out cause I was uh, a kid kid then. Yeah. And I remember, uh, that everybody had the stuffed Ewoks and that's what we got for Christmas, and it was all the rage. And our, I, our generation's Baby Yoda. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Ewoks and Mogwais. Um, yeah, so I, I have memory of that one, and that holds more of a like a an emotional place for me. It's my favorite of the three. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Um, just because of, like, it takes me back to a particular place in my childhood. Um. It's endearing to me. Right on. Cool. Matt Vader, what's your uh, original experience with the OT? Um, I was seven. And I remember my mom and dad put me and my little brother in the car and they took us to the drive-in. Oh, nice. And we're all like, where are we going? Oh, we're going to go watch this stupid Star Wars movie. It's like, oh, okay, dad, whatever, you know. <laughs> and uh, the worst mistake he ever made. <laughs> it, was, it was literally... From the second the ship flew across the screen at the beginning, after the after the crawl, yeah, to the end of that movie, I was completely enthralled. That's amazing. And uh, 
kind of just turned me into a Star Wars nerd forever from that moment on. That's all it took. You know, huh? That's all it took. That what about that space? Is because you just never seen anything like oh, that before? No, nobody had ever seen anything like that before. And I was seven. You know, you remember last week we talked about how, uh, or two weeks ago, you said the prequels were your generation, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, this, the original was for me. <laughs> now I was, I was seven, 10, and 13 when those movies came out. Nice. Yeah, the the, so, pin, the pinnacle of special effects up to yeah. that point had been two thousand one. Yeah, a Space Odyssey, yeah. Mm -hmm. Stanley Kubrick. And yeah. if if you look at the special effects in that, compare it to Star Wars, it's not even a comparison. Yeah, I just yeah. I, I remember that was released in sixty eight. Hold on, right? this is Matt. I remember <laughs> I remember from the very beginning when the when the, the stormtroopers blew open the door oh, on, yeah. on the ship and out yeah. stepped Vader, <laughs> and I was like. Holy God. <laughs> Love it for Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like, I, I, you know, most kids wanted to be Luke Skywalker or Han Solo. Nope. Mm -hmm. Not me. I want to be that. Never, guy. never have I wanted to be any, anybody else in that movie. And he didn't even but do Darth anything. Vader. He just stepped in the door. The and best, yeah, and he was a badass. One of the best intros to a character in, yeah. in cinema. Yeah. Like talk about entrances. Just walks in <laughs> it's and like all the these place. all these people running, scared to death. Here's this big guy in his black cape and his helmet, <laughs> deep voice. Yeah, you're like, who is this guy? This guy is awesome. Yeah, yeah. you know. And basically, I, I found out later that I'm basically rooting for Space Hitler. <laughs> but whatever that explains so much. Whatever. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's a good experience. That makes me happy just hearing something like that because I wasn't there. Like for me, I'm the generation, like like you said, Kadish, that I kind of grew up on the prequels. However, I was already a super Star Wars nerd by that time. I, I don't remember. I don't have a single memory of a time where I didn't know what Star Wars was. Star Wars has just been part of my vocabulary since the very beginning. And I remember when I was young, watched like very, very young, watching, um, that was on TV, we still had like a little, remember the TVs that were like, looked like a shelf, like a, like a, um, a drawer shelf. They had drawers on both sides and there console was TV. a console TV. Yeah. It's just stuck in the middle of this giant drawer with a little like four channel dial. Like that's what I watched Star Wars on. My, my family was poor. <laughs> that's just what they were back then. Yeah, that's what they were. I mean, this is had to have been, you know, no, because it was the 90s. My family was just poor. <laughs> I just remember watching those movies and uh, I remember like, like trying to do front flips off my couch, just like Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi when he jumps off the uh, the little floating thing over the Sarlacc pit. You know, he jumps up and does a flip and lands and grabs his lightsaber. Like I used to jump off my couch and do flips onto the kid cushions and and I'd have my little toy stick. We didn't have lightsabers. My parents didn't have enough money to buy me like a toy lightsaber or anything. I just had a, a broomstick with a little bit of duct tape on the bottom for the hilt. And I used to pretend with that. You just, were the kid from The Last Jedi. Oh, shut up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever say that to me again. You, you, you were a broom, broom boy. boy. Yeah. <laughs> you were broom boy. You guys suck so much. Why you got a dumb salt on my memories? <laughs> You're a broom boy. You suck. You just ruined his childhood. You did. You did. <laughs> Ryan Johnson's kid. <laughs> yeah. I Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> Johnson. You dick bags. Um, Other banks go out of their way to make redeeming credit card rewards needlessly complicated. Like how they require minimums or force you to use your rewards before reaching some arbitrary expiration date. But Discover isn't like that. With Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount, at any time. So you'll never have to jump through hoops. Unless you're like a trapezist, then by all means, go right ahead. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Progressive presents Married to Your Home. 
I'm disgusting. Oh, House, don't say that. You could live someplace so much better than me. That's not true. Oh, yeah? Look at these uneven stairs. Gross. House, you know I don't care. Ugh, and the squeaky door hinge. I think it's cute. No matter how much you already love your house, you'll love it more knowing you could save big bundling your home and auto with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. No, but I just, I don't remember there ever being a time. And then what I, I do remember about going to the theaters is when the special editions came out. And I was right. too young to know, like, like nowadays I've kind of prefer the original theatrical releases. I feel like they're more pure. Oh, but, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, definitely special editions, really. <laughs> what? what the <laughs> Well, it was, it's funny because when they were re-released, that was the first time I actually got to see any of them in the theater because mm-hmm. my experience with them up to that point had always been on VHS. And when they came out with the special editions, uh, you, you know, it's funny because when we were watching, re-watching them in preparation for this podcast, I'm sitting there, I'm just like, there's so much wrong with these special <laughs> editions. It's like, it's like the, the originals were just perfect. Yeah. Even in their imperfections, they, they were just so like pure. And George Lucas going back and tinkering with them actually detracts a it little did. bit. It does. Yeah. The only, there's only a handful that I would say actually add to the experience, and there's not many. Most of them are in Empire Strikes Back, but the um, worst, the worst. Oh, last uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, hundred percent. singing. They changed the song. No, no, no. It's where Anakin shows up at the end, and instead, so Christensen. Instead of looking like he did when he died, Darth Vader is now Hayden Christensen. Yeah, that was a weird transition. Well, he de-aged himself in the afterworld, but nobody else did. Yeah, no one else. Wait, just wait until we get you and McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi. Wait until that happens. Goodbye. Oh yeah, God! But, I can't but, but the the whole Jabba music video palace scene, the musical awful. number, terrible, yeah. awful. Yeah, did is it just me or did Jabba triple in size from the first time we saw him? In the, the new, yeah, in a New Hope, yeah. he was like just a normal. Yeah, slug. he's the same size as Han Solo. But it's been like five, what four well, years? To be five years? to be fair, he wasn't in the original movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he was a guy. He was, he a was guy just some in a, guy in a fur coat. Well, yeah. I, I remember George. But Lucas that scene talking. that scene wasn't in the movie. Yeah, I know. I remember George Lucas talking about it and him saying that, you know, um, Jabba got fat (laughs) between, you know, episode four and episode six. Did he also get taller? Yes. (laughs) I just, I felt like, like that, um, the special edition, that version where Han goes and talks to Jabba, like, it's kind of cool for like a nerd standpoint where you get to kind of see. It should never like, have been included. It should never have been. I know, but you didn't like, need it in that movie. like Boba Fett was there, which was really cool because they had that concept for Boba Fett before the Empire Strikes Back, which I thought was kind of cool. But other than that, it was like totally useless, and you didn't have to have it. And I think it actually detracted from the reveal. Like we hear about Jabba the Hutt, right? Han's like, man, yeah. I got a debt to pay against Jabba the Hutt. For two movies, yeah. we hear about this dude. We finally get to see him in Return of the Jedi, and he's like this giant slug. You're yeah. like, what? Yeah. No way. Like, we don't, like, the younger generation don't get that anymore because we already know what he looks like. So it's kind of, it kind of sucks in that manner. But, um, but like, well, like I was saying, like, I went to go to the, to the theaters, and I was too young to really care at this point of what was added and what wasn't. I just saw Star Wars on the big screen finally. I remember sitting in line at the theater with my dad, like holding my dad's hand and like just looking up at the, uh, just looking up at everybody standing around me waiting to go and, and watch this movie. And I just, I, I, it's a wonderful experience, man. Those movies are just so perfect to me. I can't have any complaints against the, the theatrical versions, even the original, even the special editions. Like I, I feel like a lot of that, 
most of it is good. There's a lot of bad to it. Like yeah. a, a couple of the Moss Eisley scenes with the dinosaur stuff, like, nah, I'm not into that. But the, the scenes, the extra scenes with the X-Wings, like that's solid stuff where they have like a couple of extra scenes where the, the TIE fighters and X-Wings are doing some dog fighting and stuff. I'm like, that was some good additions. And then Empire Strikes Back, we got a little bit of an addition with the Wampa on Hoth, which I felt was a good addition. Oh, yeah, and, uh, and A New Hope. Like the Moss Eisley scenes felt like were over the top. And I, I verified, you said there were no other speeders in the theatrical version. That is false, sir. There were speeders. When did I say that? A while back, like five or six podcasts ago you were arguing with me over what was in the original theatrical version versus what was in the special edition. That was how he felt at the time. And you were incorrect. I, don't, was, I don't recall this conversation. That's good because you were either. wrong. It's funny. It's funny how that works. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're making arguments up. <laughs> <laughs> Whose side are you on? Anyway? I don't know. Let, let, uh, let's go to the tapes or it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, maybe our followers can tell us. Um, anyway, so... What was I talking about? Oh yeah, there's just the theater. Just being in the theater mm-hmm. for the first time as a kid and watching the original trilogy is just incredible. Like I didn't care if it was the uh, special editions or not. I was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. Good to see Luke Skywalker on the big screen, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that had a definitive effect on on where I took my life. Although I didn't I didn't pursue a career um, involved in that, but my the creative side of my brain has always been in Star Wars in you know, Jurassic Park and, and movies like that, that kind of influenced me. And then now we're here where I'm like, I had, I was old enough to buy some equipment and start a podcast. And I want to talk about movies cause I love them. And my love of movies, 100% goes back to star Wars. Cause that is literally the first movies I remember watching as a kid. It started the whole blockbuster trend of yeah. the 80s. And the first yeah. actually good sequel too, I believe, right? It was Empire Strikes Back. Well, there was Godfather too. Oh, okay. You know, the best thing about... I'll make... I'll, I'll accept it. The best lie. thing about being seven years old when this movie came out was the toys. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Tell us about that. What's yeah. the experience with those old Kenner toys? You know, I don't remember when I got my first toy. It was soon after the movie came out. Did you get the voucher? I, I do remember getting the voucher, okay. but I don't think I ever cashed it in. So, does, so, do you guys know the history of the voucher? No. Oh, yeah. It's from the Empire of Dreams uh, documentary. So, what happened was that they... I, what Kenner didn't have the money to make the toys until after they had already sold them because Lucas couldn't afford to pay Kenner up front. So they were like, well, just we'll pass out these vouchers. People will pay full price for these Mm -hmm. little cardboard cutouts. And then after we get the money, we'll use that money to make the toys and then send it to everybody who has a voucher. All all I know now at this point is if I had kept those toys, I could probably retire because I had a lot of those (laughs) Did you have them all? Oh, yeah. I had a ton of that stuff. Well, the the really interesting aspect to the whole toy thing was that, um, you know, Lucas was the first filmmaker to actually merchandise his stuff. Mm -hmm. And before Star Wars came along, movie studios, they, they didn't, you know, do these licensing deals. So when Lucas said he wanted to retain the, the merchandising rights to Star Wars, Fox was, Fox was like, oh, yeah, go ahead. We don't care. And, and that's where he made his fortune. It wasn't mm-hmm. off the movies. It yep. was off the merchandise uh, based off the movies. And actually, you know, we'll talk about this when we get to Empire. But because Empire went over budget, he actually had to give up um, a couple points on his merchandising rights back to Fox in order to finish the film. And that's one of the reasons why he fired Gary Kurtz for the third movie. So uh, <laughs> the, the merchandising actually has like a, a big part to play in, in the saga of Star Wars. Oh, and that, changed, that it, changed the business industry. It's all documented pretty good in that Toys That Made Us show, right? Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. There's a show that does that. And I like yeah. the actual, I actually like the part about how they uh, 
before Lucas came along and kind of created this new industry of the toy making process, like there was some like funny knockoff Star Trek toys from mm-hmm. the sixties where they didn't have the license to make it. So they just made it like, like the cheaper cheapo version. <laughs> There's like cheap phasers and cheap, you know, discount Captain Kirk's and stuff. I always thought that was pretty funny. And then Lucas right. came in and just completely changed yeah, the game. But, but growing up, I had a huge collection of star Wars toys. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was telling Jude when we were watching return of the Jedi, I had the the Tauntaun toy that had like the hollow belly that you could shove yeah. your, <laughs> your, your, really? your Luke into. That's amazing. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, what was your response? Yeah. 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 She was just like, yeah. What's the internal temperature of a Tauntaun, Jude? Lukewarm. Uh, <laughs> no, I just, I remember playing with my, like my Darth Vader and my Luke mm-hmm. and they had those stupid little expandable yeah. plastic in, in the things arms. and the, and the, you know, and he had that plastic cape. You know, worth a fortune. I'm just, I'm getting sick to my stomach because I have nowhere. Oh oh, no, they're they're, 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 they're long gone. I had the original Millennium Falcon Mm -hmm. uh, toy set and uh, the the, the TIE fighter where the wings blow off (laughs) and stuff like that. Uh, It was great. All my toys were, were post like nineties, almost just barely before the prequels came out. And I had like, I had return of the Jedi Luke and his black outfit with his green lightsaber. That was my favorite one. I think, um, I used to play with that thing all the time, but I had all the newer like action action figures, you know, the ones that actually had knees that bent and arms that bent and stuff like that. And I could actually crap your action. When we were better. Are you kidding me? <laughs> when we were allowed to His go out in was public. Poor. Leave him alone. Yeah. Very poor. <laughs> I love you, mom and dad. When we were allowed to go out in public, I I drive down to Fremont street once in a while, at least two or three times a year, just to go into that rogue toy store. Is it oh, rogue yeah. toys or toy I forget what it's called, but it's on Fremont Street there. Yeah, there, there's and he's a, got all big, the old, all the old stuff, a whole wall of them, yeah, and that, they're all still on. There's card. this big tourist trap of a toy store. It's amazing down there, and uh, yeah, they, they've got all the vintage toys, and uh, it's, it's, it's completely overpriced. What's that yeah. place called? Um, we should get them as a sponsor. I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's the, he's the guy that's on Pawn Stars. He's the toy expert. Oh, okay, on Pawn Stars. okay. I forget the name of the store now. Now we'll but, find um, out later. Google it, people. There's some cool stuff in there, man. It's just it's kind of like going to songs. It's like going into a museum. Yeah, yeah. So I remember it is very pricey. Yeah, like where I grew up back east, there's quite a few antique shops. Uh, it's kind of like a thing for the northeast. You antiquing. know, there's an antiquing thing. Is it's a, it's legitimate. Like people do that on the weekends. Like, hey, let's go antiquing together as a family. Like. I had to do that. Um, but I do remember going into some antique stores and just like the old lunch boxes from the seventies and oh, the yeah. old Kenner toys. And the, I had a star Wars lunchbox and a star Wars backpack and all that stuff. <laughs> I, I still look for that stuff because I do plan on having a nerd shelf set up at least someday. I like, I have a, a Vader shrine. It's in a box right now, but it's just these really weird, obscure Darth Vader toys or those are the best toothbrushes or Pez dispensers <laughs> or, or whatever oh, Pez dispensers. Oh yeah. yeah. I remember those too. Yeah. The Plushies. Pez dispensers. Right yeah. on. So we all like all of our childhoods have been heavily yeah. impacted by defined. I would say yeah, yeah. this movie franchise that George came up with. And I think the one thing I always, I want to make sure that this message get, gets across and I, I did it in my tweet today is that George like set out his purpose to make these movies was to make these wholesome adventure movies for a younger generation because during that particular time in history, Vietnam, Vietnam war, everything was kind of doom and gloom. There was a lot of negativity going around kind of like it is today, which I feel like we need the new star Wars right now. Um, but like he set out to give hope and uh, an escape 
for a younger generation and it worked. It, it was a lightning in a bottle. It worked so well that it's affecting people even 40 plus years later. So shout out to George Lucas. Cheers to him. Before we get super deep into these movies. That was a thud. <laughs> that was a thud. I got a plastic bottle. All right. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about a new hope star Wars as it was called before they actually gave it a title and a number. Mm -hmm. Um, Matthew Kadish, why don't you set the table for us on this movie? What is this movie about and how freaking awesome is it? (laughs) It's pretty freaking awesome. Um, (laughs) How perfect is it on a narrative standpoint? Narrative standpoint on a scale of one to 10, I'd probably put it at a seven and a half, possibly an eight. You're such a hard sell. (laughs) Well, I mean, it has its issues. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But you know, nothing's you. perfect, Jude. But, but you know, well, Empire is pretty close. But um, cheers you, to that. What, what's interesting about A New Hope is that so you you kind of got to put it within the context of its time. Mm. Um, when this movie was being made, um, storytelling was in the middle of a countercultural revolution, and there was this whole new generation of filmmakers that were kind of coming up through the ranks of Hollywood because it was transitioning. Hollywood was transitioning from a studio kind of system where movies were shot, you know, in indoors on sound stages and um, they were all very like clean and sterile and kind of had to obey certain rules. And this new generation kind of led by Francis Ford Coppola, um, they were known as the countercultural uh, generation and they were making movies that were just breaking all the old Hollywood rules. And Lucas, you know, he, he had just come off of American Graffiti, mm-hmm. which was, you know, it was a pretty standard movie in, t- in terms of the stuff that was coming out during that time. And he really pushed the envelope of what a movie could do. And in fact, he pushed it so much that pretty much everyone thought this movie was going to bomb. Like he had a screening of a rough cut of the movie for, I believe it was Coppola, Spielberg, and John Milius, who was kind of an up-and-coming filmmaker at the time. And uh, he didn't have any of the special effects done. He had kind of B-roll footage of, of World War II, you know, uh, dogfights yep. spliced into the film. The and uh, Bomber Brigade, is that the movie that he used, yeah. I think? Yeah. And when the movie was over, um, both Milius and Coppola just let them have it. They're were, they were like, they're like, this movie's terrible. It's, <laughs> it's, it's awful. You need to do this. You need to do that. And the only one who actually like, like said, like, like George, I think this is pretty good. It was Spielberg. Mm. And, um, like when this movie came out, first of all, it was a technical Marvel because no movie had ever done special effects quite like this movie had in the past. Well, we talked about earlier that up, up to that point, the biggest science fiction film to be made was 2001 a space odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. And that had kind of like these special effects. They weren't like cutting edge, but they were the best they could do at the time. And, uh, you know, Lucas, he'd always been kind of like a, an experimental filmmaker. That was like his real bread and butter was, you know, THX 1138 and and the weird stuff like that. It still is too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling like he's got a backlog of weird movies that he hasn't released yet. (laughs) But, But the really fascinating thing about how he approached this movie is that in addition to it being like, kind of like technically advanced, in terms of the special effects and the, the filmmaking was his approach to crafting the story. And he went through, you know, uh, I would argue that George Lucas is not a good writer. <laughs> um, <laughs> we talked about this before, but, but he's, he's a good, he's a good conceptualizer. 
And he was heavily influenced by this uh, 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 Kurosawa film called The Hidden Fortress. And his original drafts of Star Wars were actually like basically an Americanized version of this Akira Kurosawa film, which for those of you who don't know who Akira Kurosawa is, he was basically like the biggest filmmaker in, in Japan. He was kind of like their version of Hitchcock or I guess modern day Spielberg or something like that. But he, he was this foreign filmmaker who had a huge impact on this countercultural generation of filmmakers because uh, he was making most of his movies in the fifties, but he was doing stuff that was so outside of what Hollywood was doing that it was just mesmerizing to the, the people who would watch his movies. And so Spielberg was heavily influenced by this particular film of his called the hidden fortress and his early drafts of the original star Wars was, were very close to what that movie was. And then over time he kind of began studying what was called um, the hero's journey which is uh, based off of Joseph A. Campbell's uh, analysis of Greek mythology, um, A Hero with a Thousand Faces. And from that book, Lucas kind of came up with this hero's journey structure, which is actually, you know, has, it basically revolutionized how like big budget blockbuster science fantasy stuff is, is told because it's the journey of, you know, a mythical hero. And, once he kind of got the structure down, uh, he applied it to Star Wars and he made start, start making changes from what it was originally, which was a, a ripoff of this Hidden Fortress movie. Yeah. And it evolved into what it became. And it, the impact of this is just, it can't, can't even be stated because it, it basically changed the way uh, Hollywood went about structuring its movies and, you know, character arcs and things like that. Um, it, it just, it, it was very like revolutionary, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And people have studied Star Wars as like a textbook example of how you structure um, not only like a movie, but a particular type of movie like The Hero's Journey and a trilogy at large. Unfortunately, I don't think the people who made the sequels really studied it <laughs> all that much. But um, if you look at A New Hope, beat for beat, it is structurally perfect. Like from a meta point of view, if you're looking at it from the thousand foot you know, yeah. viewpoint. This you got movie, the call to action, yeah, the you, refusal. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, pretty much everything in the, that happens in this movie is just perfectly plotted out to the hundredth degree. So, you know, most film schools, especially like screenwriting schools or even just writing classes, uh, look at New Hope as the textbook example of how to do a perfect three-act structure um, hero's journey. And, when I, when I was rewatching it, I was just so struck at like how, how elegant it was. And, you know, a lot of this was kind of like fixed in the editing room by George Lucas's wife who kind of came in and cleaned up a lot of the mistakes that he made. <laughs> but the, the genesis of it started in, with the script. And even though I don't think George Lucas is a very talented writer or director, he has like this instinctual kind of storytelling compass i guess you could say that guides him to the right direction well have you ever heard his comments i think i can't remember when he gave an interview but he talked about um his thoughts on storytelling and he actually he basically said like i i believe there's only like 33 or 32 different types of stories that can actually be told and anything beyond that is just a variation well, he, of those stories yeah he, he was talking about um they say there's only 33 master plots out there mm-hmm and everything is just like a variation on those. And 
I, I would say that 33 is a bit much. I think they're probably more like 12. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, 12, 12 master plots that you could fit pretty much every movie into. And some of them double up, you know, like, so you can have a hero's journey, but you can also have something like a, like a quest story or a chase story or something yeah. like that in addition to... All right, so getting back to this whole concept of the 33 master plots that George Lucas had, um, one of the things that's interesting about this is that you have to remember before the countercultural um, kind of rise of these uh, filmmakers... Uh, all film people kind of went through an apprenticeship system where they, they worked on movies, they worked their way up and eventually they became like directors and creatives and stuff like that. And George Lucas was part of the first generation of film school um, filmmakers where they went to UCLA and USC and they studied the craft of filmmaking, but they also studied like, like film theory and, and storytelling and stuff like that. And so when it comes to the hero's journey structure that, George kind of pioneered. Um, it was an outgrowth of kind of like this generation of people who actually studied film as opposed to just uh, tradesmen who worked their way up through it. And uh, th this can't be stressed enough, like the impact that film schools had on people like Spielberg and Lucas and, you know, Scorsese and stuff like that. And Star Wars A New Hope is kind of an outgrowth of that that study because even though like like George Lucas he's a very competent technical craftsman he's someone who you know when, when it comes to technology he gets very in the weeds with it he understands it and the same thing can be said of you know writing where he's competent enough in terms of like the theory behind the writing it's just the actual execution of the writing that you know he sometimes struggles with and um, when it came to a new hope um, his kind of craftsmanship of the, the story's narrative is really the thing that kind of makes this movie work in addition to the technical aspect of it. So, you know, he just, he told a very simple story and it's like when I was rewatching it, I, I was just floored, especially now that I've, like, I think I was telling you guys earlier, like I, I haven't watched these movies in like a, a while now, even though I've watched them like a thousand times. And like comparing them to the new stuff that we've gotten, <laughs> like it just makes me appreciate like how well made they are. Yeah. Jude, on your most recent rewatch, how did, how did uh, a new hope make you feel like when you were watching it again? Of course you've seen it a million times, I'm sure, but uh, I haven't seen it that many times. You haven't. Mm -mm. Oh, no, how? I'm not like you guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so rewatching it, like now, if you... it were Harry Potter, it'd be a different, <laughs> be a different story. <laughs> Freak that pothead. Um, so what is what are your thoughts on the new hope? What what is it about this movie that uh, you find so much enjoyment out of? I think there's just something so bewitching about this a ridge tridge <laughs> <laughs> that the newer movies just don't have. There's there's just something so that so and like captures you and it's timeless and it just the story sucks you in and it's beguiling and it's hard to find something that transcends time and still holds up that that just just takes a hold of you. Who do you connect with the most out of this movie? Do you connect with Princess Leia or no. Luke Skywalker? Uh, or Han Solo? Or Chewbacca? C-3PO. C-3PO? I love what? that man. 
<laughs> Tell me more. That's my boy. Tell me more. What is it about C3PO that? He's just always nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Daniels. I love him. Oh, that's amazing. I did not I expect you to say that. I think C3PO and R2D2 are the best characters in the whole thing. Really? I love them. Oh, it's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. They are. They are. They are uh, what George Lucas set That's them up. That's the love story that no one talks about. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, George Lucas set those two up to be the the ones who were basically telling the story in this. Yeah, in they're this like trilogy. Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, actually, like going back to the influence of Akira Kurosawa and, yeah. and the Hidden Fortress. That movie, um, Akira Kurosawa chose to tell the story through the point of view of the two lowest characters, who are these two peasants, one tall one, one short one. Yeah, and they're always bickering with one another. Yeah. And George Lucas specifically you know, um, based R2-D2 and C-3PO on these two characters. In fact, if you watch The Hidden Fortress, you'll see, like, uh, you, you know, the the scene where, like, uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 are together on Tatooine and they, like, yep. split up. That's taken right from <laughs> yeah. the, the Hidden Fortress because there's a scene where that actually happens with those characters. But George was so fascinated with this concept of telling this big epic story through the point of view of the two lowest characters in the in the ensemble and uh, you know that's what he translated over um, to to his version. Do you guys do you guys think that was carried through in the other three movies that he did in the prequels? Do you think that idea of having the story told by R two and no. C three PO? No, I, f- I feel like that was something that was very specific to the original trilogy. Um, and now I was going to talk about this when we got to Return of the Jedi, but well, like three PO has a character arc um, that goes through all three movies, where he starts off by saying he's not a very good storyteller, and then by by Jedi, he's regaling the Ewoks with like yeah. the, the, this fascinating oh, story. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and so like that's his character arc throughout the trilogy. Is, and it's is such like, a full story yeah. from start to finish of these mm-hmm. two droids where they start and everything that they go through. Wow. I actually don't think I've ever connected those dots before, but he does say that line. I'm not very good at telling stories as he's getting out yeah. of the oil bath mm-hmm. in the New Hope. And then he's sitting in front of the Ewoks, yeah. like explaining yeah. the he's whole their saga. God at that point. Oh my gosh, yeah. dude! And, I've and, never put those two things together. I don't know how I missed that. That's amazing. That that just goes to show the um, the quality of the storytelling in, in the original trilogy, where structurally everything works. Everyone has a character arc. Everyone has some type of transformative arc. Um, there's just so much that goes on within these three movies that it's just textbook perfect. And part of that is just seeing how these characters evolve over the course of the three movies. Like, all the main characters evolve. Even Darth Vader, you know, evolves over the course of these movies. And it's it's fascinating, like, you know, re-watching them. It's fascinating to, like, look at it and deconstruct it and, like, figure it all out. Yeah. And that's, um, like, what I was talking about when we were doing the um, Westworld review. And when I was saying about, like, I trust this storytelling because I know that there's a reason for everything that they do. And that's how I feel about this original trilogy where, and I don't feel like that with any of the, with the other, other movies, they just do for the sake of doing it. And there's just characters for the sake of merchandising them. And I'm just, I don't believe in it and I don't trust in it. And it has no, no place in my heart. But with this, every single thing that they did was for a reason. And I just give myself over to the story of it and and just let myself enjoy it and not pick it apart like I would something else. You guys are also deep. Vader, what's your, <laughs> what's your favorite Kater's part of the new Kater's taking us to school over here. <laughs> I love that stuff, though. What's my favorite part? Yeah, what's your favorite part? Um, of I like the lasers and the, <laughs> the blasters and the space fights. Yeah. <laughs> 
Matt, Matt, how great was that opening scene where where they're you know the the um, tav, tav what was the name of uh, the Corellian transport that Leia was on? Tavern Five. Tavern Five. Tav, something like that. Some nerd yeah, yell at me people, for that. People are gonna like put me on the spot, and I can't think of it. Well, it's, it's just <laughs> like nerd. like we're we're all all of like Leia's yeah. troops are in that the hallway. Leia's yeah. Corvette. Yeah, Leia's Corvette. They're in the hallway, and you know they're just waiting for the stormtroopers to break in. And that opening fight is just like, like I don't know, there's something magical about it. And I was telling Jude that if you really look at how um, that opening scene is structured, where like the hallways are just the, these very stark white. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons they did that, it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons is so that when Darth Vader enters and he's just like in pure black from head to toe, he, he stands out amongst everything and else. And then that seven-year-old kid in the audience like me goes, Whoa, that dude's cool. <laughs> you know, so uh -huh. doesn't say a word, just steps in, yep. looks, around, looks around, and looks walks. at his dead troopers like losers. Yeah. <laughs> so what else? What tell me about the whole the whole movie though, Vader? What is what is it that draws that movie to you or, or it's that? just it's just a classic, man. I, I I can't sit here and tell you in detail about how it affected me. It just did. You know, it yeah. was it was my first big time movie experience that I remember. You know, it it just had that effect on me. The it, first time you saw a lightsaber, Obi-Wan versus Vader. It's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. They, like, they, did you explore? Well, we, we kind of saw Luke ignite it mm -hmm. in the hut, so we kind of had an idea of what to expect. But like, I, I wish I could have been there for the first time. Like, what is this magical device, right. this Excalibur of light? Like, that was like, amazing. I was just everything from the, the land speeder hovering over the... Yeah, things and and the Jawas and the big giant, oh the sand crawler, the sand crawler yeah. and, and and everything everything about that movie just screamed amazingness to me. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that cantina scene. Yeah, oh my god, all the different aliens. Yeah, I actually prefer the uh, the theatrical version. But the, for that the, too. the best part about that whole cantina scene is growing older and reading about how they made that, and it's just a bunch of old Halloween Halloween masks, masks and, stuff. and stuff. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> That's good. He's doing it on a budget. <laughs> First time you get to meet uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca, like Harrison Ford, just yep. being the Harrison Such Fordiest a cool drink person. Of water. You could, yeah, it's like, man, he was just too perfect for that role. Like, he, I don't think he wanted it. He didn't want it, and George didn't want him to be in it. I think because George was like. <laughs> This is, I don't want to be, I don't want Harrison to be the guy that I put in all my movies, right? right? Yeah. Well, well, he was helping George out by reading the sides for auditioning. Yeah. And uh, George was just like, you know, he, he's pretty good at this. He's really good at this guy. <laughs> he is kind yeah, of Yeah, he had Solo. something visually completely different planned out for that character. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have the um, the hardback copy of the original screenplay, and, and Han Solo is like a giant green lizard person or something. But they also had uh, a Kurt Russell play for... Um, Han Solo at one point like there's old videotapes of him auditioning with Carrie Fisher as Han Solo and it's pretty funny because we were talking about him with uh, Tango and Cash and stuff and it's funny to lethal see weapon. Lethal Weapon it's funny to see how they kind of all these classic actors that we all watch and love kind of got their start at the same spot and it's kind like, of auditioned it's for like that Saturday roles. Night Live sketch where um, Christopher Walken auditions for Star Wars mm -hmm. oh, yeah. as Han Solo <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good yeah. You know, can you imagine anybody else in the role? No, no. I can't. Uh, you can't. It kind of makes it's me sad that he doesn't really care about that character very much, but I, I can't imagine anybody else in it. Well, you know, acting has always just been kind of like a gig to Harrison Ford. Like, he doesn't get too deep into it. Yeah. Um, but uh, one of the f fun things I learned from, you know, kind of watching YouTube with Jude about 
these movies was that bartender in the cantina scene mm-hmm. where he's like, we don't serve their kind here. Uh, there's actually a book, uh, like a Star Wars book, where they talk about his character and, and that bartender's yeah, backstory. Yeah, he has a whole backstory. And everybody has a backstory. And his, yeah. his, his parents were killed by droids in the Clone Wars, and so that's why he has such a prejudice against against droids. Now, this, obviously, this book came out after the prequels then, right? Or was uh, this pre-prequels? No, it, I think it came out after the prequels. Okay, yeah, I was going to say. Because they started tying... But, but, but it was really interesting. Yeah, they, it is a good callback, and it kind of makes sense as to, like, the, the setup of the world. Like, we, we watching the original trilogy and then watching the prequels, I, I didn't really... Because I, I wasn't a huge fan of the prequels, but watching the original trilogy, you kind of connect these dots now. And I think we talked about it with what Rogue One or something last week, where like all these these people that are alive now in this trilogy were alive during the the Clone Wars, so they got to see all these robots and and droids killing all their family members and going to war and stuff. So it makes sense that they would have some kind of prejudice against them. I, I do wish George had taken a little bit more care and. Crafting the prequels to tie in better with with the original trilogy. Yeah, there's one thing that always sticks with me with uh, with the original trilogy and the prequels not really tying together is Obi Wan Kenobi, where he's obviously like in his 60s, mm-hmm. but according to the timeline, Anakin's only like 45 in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> but, but also, like, uh, if you watch, you know, Revenge of the Sith, uh, he asks, you know, when, once Anakin becomes Darth Vader, he asks the Emperor, like, what happened to Palpatine? Or I'm sorry, what happened to Padme? Oh yeah, and Palpatine is, is like in your rage, you killed her, <laughs> and and this was bef- this was while she was pregnant. Yeah, and so uh, when he finds out Luke Skywalker is alive, um, and he's before the Emperor, he's like, how is that possible? Um, because like if he actually killed Padme, you know, before she was able to have the kids, then yeah. then you know Luke wouldn't be alive. And and so like I'm I'm just sitting there I'm like this doesn't really jive with <laughs> how uh, you know Revenge that's of the Sith ended be, be, because at that, at, that, at that point the moment Vader knows that he has a son that that's alive and, and he senses it to be true he should know that Palpatine lied to him and yeah. and and manipulated him and so like you would think that would set him off to go down the path of you know betraying Palpatine ultimately which he eventually it does, does yeah but, I think it does but he also resists betraying him as well so like. Within the like, if you look at the the original trilogy like in isolation, what Vader does works. It tracks through all three movies. But when you add in the prequels, there's some divergences there yeah, that don't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I think the other thing too is uh, Obi Wan not knowing who R two D two was, seeing oh, yeah. which he or C three PO or C three PO, seeing which he spent most of the Clone Wars with or around them, knew them by name multiple times, mm-hmm. and you're like, I don't remember ever owning any droids. <laughs> Very interesting. Like what, dude? <laughs> R2's like, how dare you? He, he didn't want to blow his cover. <laughs> yeah, so. okay. Cover. And, and there's also the oh, talk. I guess the other thing, too, is he's like, oh, you know, like, uh, oh, oh, Ben Kenobi. I haven't been called Obi-Wan since, oh, before you were born. Like, yeah. no, you've never been called Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until he was born. Oh. It's just, it's little nitpicky things well, also, like they, that. they still called him Obi-Wan after he was born. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh but uh, oh, there was also a, there, there was another thing um, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. That's all right. Padme. <clears throat> um, Padme died. Oh, well, it's Return of the Jedi. But anyway, we don't have to bag on the prequels anymore. We did that for a full podcast already. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, so I'm going to come up a couple more times. Um, let's real quick. Let's talk about like we kind of mentioned the hero's journey and, and we get to see Luke kind of like refuse the call to adventure with Obi-Wan. Like I can't go to Anchorage, you know, or I can't go to Alderaan. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm late. I'm in for it as it is. I got to go home. I got a farm. I got a farm. Some moisture. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one and then, more season and then I'm out. Yeah. And then we get to see, I, I think one of the um, one of the most impactful moments for me as a kid is get to is seeing uh, Uncle Owen and Abaru as skeletons mm-hmm. on the desert right in front of their homestead. Super was, G-rated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, it was, was, like that was a traumatic thing. It was very traumatic <laughs> that, for me. That and the uh, <laughs> sand person. Like that thing, I, I told Jude, I was like, when I was a kid, that would scare the crap yes. out of me. Dude, I used, I remember because like the the, cl- the shot of them as skeletons like like smoldering in the distance was such a quick shot in the movie. Like when I was younger, I that used to. so gruesome. I used to pause it to see because I, I was like, oh, I, I wonder how much they show. Like I, I just was curious of like, like morbidly curious as to what they—the most nudity you'd ever seen in your entire yeah. child life. Yeah, it's like man, those stormtroopers. You're like, oh, they yeah. don't have any clothes. I, on. The, they, is, they don't yeah. miss. Those stormtroopers don't miss, and they'll mess you up. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's the line that Obi Wan says? Like, only in Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, getting uh, the arm cut off with all the blood. Oh yeah, there's blood in the cantina. Yeah. yeah there's only all... blood in Star Wars. Is it? What about the mist it's in Episode to One? Does that count? It does cauterize or. It does now and didn't used to. Uh, but anyway, I just I, like all these scenes that I remember by heart and all these lines mm-hmm. and stuff. It's just it's so much fun to, and, to go back and revisit. And, and it is interesting seeing like the setting on Tatooine and watching, you know, Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress because a lot of where, where the Hidden Fortress is, is it's hidden in the mountains. And so you have this very stark, rocky terrain. And it, it it's almost like that was copied exactly for, um, you know, the the... Tatooine portion of I'm gonna have to watch that movie. It's dude, you're gonna have to read though. It's <laughs> yeah, it's all in okay. It's in Japanese, but it's it. You've said this multiple times, and I, I can't help but bring it up now because it's, it'd be pointless not to. But um, this whole idea of like inspiration versus ripoff, where it's very, very clear that mm-hmm. George Lucas just lifted ideas straight from Kurosawa films and brought them over to his own thing and kind of made them his own or made them his own and created this new world that we all fall in love with. But now today, uh, if somebody says, oh, that's just a ripoff of this movie, like everybody rips movies off from everybody else that inspired them as kids or inspired them growing yeah, but the, up. So but there's a difference filmmakers. between ripoffs and influences. Like, is there though? There is. Yes. I think it's in how because well you if, do it. if you look at, if you look at um, the hidden fortress and you look at star Wars, they're two very different movies. Um, but you can definitely tell the impact that the hidden fortress had on Lucas as a filmmaker because uh, like the transitional wipes are, are like he, he, he was influenced, rip off. but it, it wasn't a ripoff <laughs> be, because every, lots of people use transitional wipes, but the way that they were used is something that um, George Lucas liked to, to communicate the passage of time. And that was something that Kurosawa kind of pioneered. Um, also um, a big thing that Kurosawa did was like the, the multi-shot one take where basically it's, it's a single camera setup but the way that it's um, it's blocked out, where the the actors moving and the camera moves and stuff like that, you go from like a wide shot to a close up to a medium shot, all within a single take. Do you have an example of that? Well, I mean, just look at any Spielberg movie. That's where Spielberg got it from. Um, you, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, it's 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 about efficiency in the camera and using like a long lens, but also, um, you know, the the way that you frame the shot. 
And, you know, that was something that Kurosawa kind of pioneered, and that was something that was a big influence on Lucas as yeah, well. Yeah, that's all technical stuff. And But yeah. I'm talking about, like, actual scenes and characters and, and moments in the story that are yeah. lifted straight from... But, but I mean, like, you, you could just say, like, uh, you know, it, he ripped off Arthurian legend or something like that. There's like, only like, 33. <laughs> yeah. No, 12. Yeah, 12. <laughs> 12 different stories to tell. But, but, you know, the point I'm trying to make is, like, it's, it's not... Like if he had ripped off um, uh, Hidden Fortress, it would have been the exact same story, exact same characters, just told in a slightly different way. Uh, Star Wars is its own story. It's it, it's this hero's journey of this farm boy who gets called into like a, a much bigger thing. The character of Luke Skywalker did not exist in um, in the Hidden Fortress, um, and the character of Obi Wan Kenobi is very different from the general played by Toshiro Mifune in in. Um, in the hidden fortress the the characters that are the most similar are actually the the princess in the hidden fortress and princess leia because they're both very headstrong um independent like female characters who like lose their kingdom and have to like kind of rise up and rebuild the resistance to this evil uh rival empire because george lucas is a feminist sjw right jude (laughs) (laughs) patriarchy (laughs) because he wrote a a female character to be strong and independent how dare he how dare he oh therefore he can't be a chauvinist (laughs) (laughs) now what did did you connect with with princess leia at all growing up or Um, do you remember her already asked her this question did i yeah yeah you asked me who i most identify with and I was surprised. And she said C3PO. Yeah, C3PO. Did I he's identify with Leia at all? I don't think so. Wow, okay. No. Cool. Matt, what's your favorite part of this movie? My favorite part your of this fa- movie? Ultimate favorite part. Is it the Darth Vader reveal or is it anything else later on? I don't know. I, I, I always like the scenes of the Death Star when they're kind of like running. Dog fighting? No, not the dog oh. fighting. Well, I mean, everybody likes that, but like the the. The, Escaping the, the lightsaber fight. Okay, when he kills Obi Wan, um, that was a pretty powerful moment right there, where they're running out into the the bay with the ship, and they're fighting over there in the corner and stuff. Yeah. So, Kadesh, what's your favorite part of this movie? I have so many favorite parts, but favorite part? the 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 thing that really kind of stands out to me the most is the climax, where they're doing the the, the assault on the Death Star. And, uh, I mean, that scene is just like at the time it was a technological Marvel, but if you look at how, how it plays out, they're like, you know, the stakes just keep getting bigger and bigger. And there's the ticking clock where like they're almost in range of the rebel base to destroy it. And there's so much at stake and the rebels are getting like destroyed by like the minute Vader comes onto the scene and he just like messes up all their well thought out battle plans. And, uh, you know, like, you know, Vader's two seconds away from killing Luke, and then Han Solo swoops in. Like, like is it, it's such a well-structured final battle. And when you also couple that with the fact that it's so technically advanced for its time, and it still holds up to this day, like how well shot it was, uh, I just think that 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 makes the movie like what it is. That makes there's, there's really no scenes in this movie I don't like. Yeah, yeah. I, I could sit there and I could watch this probably every day still if it's. Yeah, there, there's, there's always something that stands out in every scene. Yeah. You know, like like she's rich. <laughs> rich, powerful. Yeah. If you were to rescue her, the reward would be there's there's, there's more, not a lot more of, money than you could imagine. Well, I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> 
like there's the, not a lot of movies out there that if I'm flipping through the channels and it's on, I just stop. Yeah. And don't start. I think, and just watch, you know, so the, the real thing that makes star Wars stand out to me though, is, is the, the world building aspect of it. Like they just have these little throwaway things that they kind of pepper into each of the original trilogy mm-hmm. that make the world so much richer. Yeah. So like, like, I, I think back to when, when Ben was, or Obi-Wan was talking to, to Luke oh, in the hut Wars, yeah. about the clone yeah. Wars. Yeah. And now look what we got. Yeah. <laughs> we got three movies or in, and uh, seven seasons, seven of a seasons of an yeah. awesome animated show about the clone wars, you know, yeah. but, but even little so, things like, uh, you know, Han's exchange with Greedo yeah. about like, you know, how, you oh, know, yeah. you should have, you should have turned me in, you know, like <laughs> at this other place. And Greedo's like, I won't make that same mistake. And the whole thing with Jabba, but even like, like when Obi-Wan is turning off the, the tractor beam within the, the Death Star. Yeah. yeah there, there, there are these two <laughs> stormtroopers like there that. who are kind of like just talking. Oh yeah. And, and the, they say something, I, I forget what exactly so, did it was. Did you get the new E11? Yeah, exactly. Like that, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like little things like that, that are just prevalent throughout all th- three of, of these movies. Um, just make the, the universe feel so much more real and so much more interesting. Jude, what's your favorite scene in A New Hope? Do you have one? Uh, I don't think that I have one favorite scene. Oh, wow. I, I enjoy just the storytelling of it. Right on. I oh. do have a nitpick, though. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. As is my way. No, I just thought that I think I'm the only person who feels this way, but I felt like uh, Luke's reaction when he saw his aunt and uncle dead paled in comparison to when... Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan died? Know, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always thought it was and funny. And like for the rest of the trilogy, he's just like, Ben, <laughs> I, fe- I sense you. I feel you. I love you. I adore you. I listen to you. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, I feel so betrayed. And these people raised him. Yeah. They were his, uh, his parents protected him. And he just like kind of stares at him. And he's like, oh, oh, I guess I'll oh. go find Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a moment. Um, oh God, I forgot what it was. But uh, when oh, it was, uh, it was the comparison of Luke. And, and and Leia, like Leia, literally just watched her planet get blown, like yeah. entire yeah. planet. Your Everyone. home world is yeah. gone, and she took it better than Luke took Obi Wan die, a yeah. guy he knew for like twenty minutes. I always thought that was super funny when somebody brought that up to me. It was his like, first adventure, and she, yeah, and she's like, she's like you know, like talking to him all soft, like, it's okay. It's okay. Like I just lost my entire planet. Would you grow up? Yeah. (laughs) Technically. I mean, are you even a princess anymore? If your planet has exploded? That's true. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you're not a princess. Nothing. So what what was the princess? I mean, we're getting into the weeds on this one, but what is the princess uh, title for her? Is it for Alderaan or is it for Naboo? At this time in movie making in order for there to be a, a, a an, an important female character she had to be royalty okay <laughs> well it, it was for alderaan was it for yes, alderaan yeah. and not naboo because no, her, like, her was, mother technically was, was the queen of naboo she was a double princess double princess like a yeah, double yeah. well well her mom was just a senator at the time that she was yeah. former queen so. former queen yeah but it's an elected position yeah, yeah so. but isn't that like everybody who's a president still gets called mr president after they're not in office anymore well, I mean, they were call- they weren't calling her Queen Senator Amidala. That's not galaxy far away, though. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Thank Long you. Long time ago. All right. Before we get into the next, oh, what? Just really got? quick. Yeah. Everybody needs to make sure they know this: that Han shot first. Han yeah. shot first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. That was the worst addition. Oh, <laughs> it's still <laughs> terrible. They still yeah. can't fix it. They, they, they've, I think they've gone through four different iterations. Like they even had to go to the solo standalone film to try to fix that. Stop <laughs> what, what perfecting is that? perfection. Exactly. What, what is that thing that they 
where, where Greedo oh, says, says something. Oh, he now. says McClunka. McClunky. <laughs> McClunka. McClunky. That's <laughs> okay, buddy. <laughs> they still can't get it right, man. Just put it back the way it was. It's ridiculous. Anyway, all right, before we get on to the best Star Wars movie ever created, that's what I said it, the best one ever created, we're going to talk about uh, the SaltyNerdClub.com. If you guys like what you hear, if you want to support this podcast, you can go to SaltyNerdClub.com. That takes you directly to our Patreon account. You can give us a dollar, you can give us $5, you can give us whatever you feel like you can give us to support and help grow this podcast and all this cool content we have. It will go towards... um, improving our audio quality, improving our uh, equipment that we have, or just being able to make more content for you guys to our listen to. Our retirement fund. Our retirement fund. Pizza. Maybe a Corona, re- uh, Corona 19 relief fund. Beer money. <laughs> Beer money. <laughs> That's more important. Um, you guys can go to saltynerdclub.com and uh, donate some cash, some cheddar to the Salty Nerd podcast. Thank you very much. Moving on now to the Empire Strikes Back, the yes. best movie ever freaking created. Oh, so good. So perfect. There is nothing wrong with this movie. Even the special editions couldn't it's not the mess up this movie. It's the best movie ever created. That's Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is, <laughs> oh. this is number two, okay? Oh, y'all go I'm going to say. Take your shirts off. I'm going to say this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it's a tie. I'll nope. give you that. And uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is pretty goddamn good. Um, Terminator 2. No. No. <laughs> Get out of here with that shit. Nothing with, nothing with Arnold Schwarzenegger counts. <laughs> That's Get to the chopper. I'll be back. <laughs> anyway. That, that line was not in Terminator 2. It wasn't? Here. It was in the original cut. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. This is my personal favorite uh, movie oh, that yeah. is in the Star Wars universe. Hands down. Hands down. Hands down. It's so perfect. I can't think of anything I don't love about this movie straight off the bat. We're, we're in the, in the mix of things where we see the star destroyer throwing out the little, little probe droids trying to find the rebel Alliance. We, we have Vader basically on just like this, this, um, quest. I wouldn't say obsession. It's like a blood feud, like obsession with trying to find out who destroyed the, the death star, who bested him in a, getting those dirty rebels. I, I love it. I just love it so much. Kadish, you're you're better at doing this than I am. Set the table for Empire Strikes Back for me. So it's the middle movie of this episode four through six trilogy, and uh, arguably the best Star Wars film ever made. In fact, you know th- this is kind of the movie that I like to call the linchpin of of this entire franchise because without this movie, Star Wars would have been dead in, in 2015 probably <laughs> or something, or at least 2018. Um, but uh, basically. This is the middle act of a much larger like story, and this is where the good guys lose. And that alone just makes this movie so much more poignant. Like uh, you, you get this romance between Han and Leia, and that kind of grounds the movie in in uh, you know a way that is is very human and emotional. Uh, you've got, you've got Luke continuing along his journey and learning the ways of the Force, but failing, and not only failing but almost dying. Uh, through his failure, and everyone in in this movie really has a, an arc. It's inter- even the Millennium Falcon has an arc in this movie, where you know the Millennium Falcon isn't working right. Its hyperdrive has been broken the entire movie, and then finally at the end of the movie, the hyperdrive gets fixed, and that's the the ship's arc throughout the whole film <laughs> is trying to get its hyperdrive fixed. But we also get introduced uh, to a lot of new characters like Lando, 
and we get introduced to a lot of different aspects of the Star Wars universe, like, you know, asteroid fields and bounty hunters and all this other stuff. And it just, it, it does everything a good sequel should do. It fleshes out the universe, expands the lore. Uh, it deepens our understanding of the characters. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because if you, if you look at what they did with Infinity War with the Avengers, where they, they kind of made that movie, the main character is, is Thanos and you get to kind of get to know the villain of the story. That's what they did in Empire, which was arguably like Darth Vader is the main character of the movie. And he's the one who um, kind of like uh, we get to see, we get, we get more of a sense of in Empire Strikes Back. And the thing that struck me the most on my rewatch of this was how masterfully this film made the Empire such a threat. Because at the end of the first movie, yeah, the Empire is kind of like this behemoth and it's a very formidable, but they, they get dealt a huge defeating blow at the end of the first movie. And then in this movie, the very opening of, of the, the film, the first act, reestablishes the threat that the Empire poses. And the thing I love about how the bad guys are handled in this movie is the good guys are only as good as the guys that they're going up against. And the Empire in this movie, and in particular Darth Vader, is just such a good antagonist, such a good threat. Because if you look at how they operate throughout the course of the movie, Vader is just so on top of things. Like he is just, you know, every move that the good guys makes, he's, he's already two steps ahead of them and he checkmates them constantly. He lures Luke into a trap. He's able to, you know, get the drop on Han Solo and Leia and stuff. And the opening scene of this movie uh, one of my biggest criticisms of the, the Last Jedi is that you none, should not speak the name of that movie while talking about the Empire Strikes Back. New rule. <laughs> I, I, I kind of have to here because because the military strategy in the Last Jedi makes no sense whatsoever. But if you look at the Battle of Hoth, um, there are two scenes like leading up to the Battle of Hoth where basically Vader kind of explains what the error was that the Admiral made and yeah. coming out of light speed too early, and then he then it's very clearly stated that, okay, we have to do a ground assault to knock out the shield so that the ships can come in and wipe out the rebel base. Because as long as the shields are up, they can't an do orbital, anything. An orbital yeah. uh, shot so, will so, not do So Vader, Vader's like, okay, land your, your troops outside the radius of the shield yep. and advance. And then it cuts to Leia in the rebel base, and she's telling everyone what the strategy is to get the uh, transports off the planet safely and where to rendezvous and stuff like that. And it's just two very quick scenes, but it sets up the logic of what the battle's supposed to be mm -hmm. and it does it expertly yeah. and, 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 and it makes perfect sense. And nothing in that battle like makes you s stop and go like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't well, take you out of the movie. Right. Whereas something like with The Last Jedi, you're like... It's the exact same setup for the same exact battle because you wanted to do a callback to Empire, but there's no there's no reason for them to do that. Yeah, it's like, it's like why didn't you fire on the the transports before you fired on the planet cuz the planet's not going anywhere, you know? Like why Well, not even that, but on on crate too cuz they had the walkers and they walked from mm -hmm. like 5 miles away. Like why why did you do that? There's no they could have just landed right in front of them. <laughs> so anyway, I don't want to talk about the last one. I freaking hate that movie. Anyway, yeah. so how good is the Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> Empire Strikes Back's really good. The reason it's it's so good is because the bad guys are really at the top of their game in this movie. Yeah. And, and the, the obstacles that they present to the heroes are so big and, and the stakes are so high that you just get invested in, in, in what's happening. Like even like if you look at the end, Vader specifically sabotaged the millennium Falcons hyperdrive 
just on the off chance that they should escape <laughs> because he knew that there was a possibility because these guys have been resourceful in the past. And like, you know, his plan was capture Luke, you know, uh, bring uh, Leia and Chewbacca back to his, you know, his ship and, you know, send Han off with the bounty hunter who they, they don't, they never refer to Boba Fett by his name, by the way, in the movie, it's always bounty hunter. And, uh, you know, normally like the bad guys wouldn't be expecting these guys to escape. And so they'd just leave the millennium Falcon on its own. But Vader was like, well, just on the off chance, just in case I'm going to make sure that, that, you know, um, I have this one ace up my sleeve. Basically, I'm not going to let what happened last time happen Mm -hmm. again. But it, it just shows like how formidable Vader is as an antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I, 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 when you're talking about it like that, what comes to my mind is, the backstory of him being in the clone wars as Anakin in the, in the cartoon and like learning all these strategies and working with the clone troopers and growing as like a military strat. What is the word? Strategist strategist. And uh, I, I just, now that you're like bringing those things together, I'm like, Oh man, that's a cool little, <laughs> like, yeah, he learned all that from the clone Wars. Yeah. But, but like, even like when, when um, Han is going into the asteroid field to escape. Oh yeah. Asteroids and, and, do not concern yeah, me. And, and invaders like follow them into the asteroid field and all of his subordinates are like, but sir, like we'll get pummeled to bits. He's like, I don't care. Go after them. <laughs> yeah. And like, like no, no other commander would have followed him into that that situation, but Vader was just like, no, go for it. Asteroids do not concern yeah. me, Admiral. I want that ship, not excuses. God, I love this freaking movie. Jude, <laughs> tell me how much you love The Empire Strikes Back. This is not my favorite. What? <laughs> Get off my podcast. That's, that's enough out of her. Good Lord. <laughs> You're cut off. <laughs> tell me you found it boring. I didn't. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. It's just not my favorite. In fact, it's my least favorite of really? the three. Yeah. Um, it's just not as memorable for me. <laughs> let me just I'll, drink, I'll, pa- I'll pack my shit up and go. Bring, drink, let me just drink my beer in <laughs> sorrow. <laughs> I still like it. It's just it's it's not as enthralling as I find yeah. New Hope or. She's Empire a return of the, of the Jedi gal. Okay, I get it. It's two different, Her, very very different yeah, tones. Return. But is there anything that you want to talk about The Empire Strikes Back that strikes you as as something that you remember about it? Old baby. Yoda. Old baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> it's not baby Yoda. <laughs> no, it's old baby Yoda. No, it's not. <laughs> is he a clone? Ooh. What is he? <laughs> Tell us, John Favreau. When 900 <laughs> years you are, look as <laughs> good as you are not. <laughs> I love how kooky he is. He is. He, he just is, is, is putting on this this uh, this front of this just weird little alien. Yeah, and talk, that's, that's kind of Yoda's Let's see if game. you have patience. And talk about subverting expectations. Yeah. Where like when you first meet him and, and you're like, Ooh, who's this annoying little alien? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, he's Turns the Jedi. Out. He's the Jedi Master. War, not make one great. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's cool looking back now because there's of course, of course, there's a freaking argument in the fandom of whether or not Yoda is playful and like joking, you know, messes around if he has that personality trait, or if he was just strictly a joke on Luke or to try and get him to to fall uh, in it was a not, test it was a test well, or think, if but, Yoda actually does have those personality traits that we see every so often hinted, I think Yoda has a sense of humor for sure I th- yeah I yeah, think, so I think he has a sense of humor but also when you are in isolation for so long you kinda, get a little kooky kind of lose it I think yeah. I, when I did I, I live tweeted the Empire Strikes Back last week or whenever I watched it and uh, that was one of the things I said like this dude's been on a swamp planet for like 20 mm-hmm. years yeah. all alone 
Like, yeah, he's a little. Nah, little he's, he's hanging out with the Qui-Gon. Yeah, in the spirit world. <laughs> in, in, I mean, how many one. of us have gotten like that in quarantine with our kids? Just like lost oh it gosh. one day and just my been like, oh, whatever. I got to get my kids out of the house. There's another disconnect here, though, where, you know, Obi-Wan keeps referring to Yoda being his, his old his master. master. And was that, I any different when you talked? That, that was not very well established in the prequels. No, well, okay, so there's like a little thing in episode two where like Yoda's basically like the kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. He teaches all the young ones. So yeah. technically, he was Obi-Wan's master at one point in time. But the way it comes off in context of The Empire Strikes Back, it seems like Obi-Wan was the apprentice of Yoda mm-hmm. first and foremost. Yeah. And so they kind of change. That's a little bit of a recon there. Uh, Matt, That's before a- we get off into the weeds too, too much, because I love this movie, uh, Matt, what is your, what are your thoughts on the empire strikes back? It's, just, it's the best one. Yeah. By far. Absolutely. Do you um, have any favorite moments, anything that you remember, like just really struck you about this movie? I remember being kind of flabbergasted in the scene when, uh, Vader walks into the Emperor's hologram chamber or whatever oh, that is. Because, yeah. you know, when I was, what, 11, I think, when this movie came out. And here comes Darth Vader walking in, and he's kneeling down yeah. to this big-headed hologram. It's like, well, who's this guy? You know, and that was our first introduction so, to the Emperor, you know. And it was, it was pretty cool. Do you remember... Which version of the Emperor do you remember most? Do you remember the old version, or do you remember the new Ian McDermott um, version? I remember Ian McDermott version really? the most okay. now, but you know, that's that a, was a that's long time ago. special edition, isn't it? And, you know, it wasn't... Or no, that's prequel edition. I was 11. Yeah. So it's not like... And we didn't go watch... That's interesting. Those movies 15 times when they came out. I, probably, I think I saw the movie twice, probably. That's interesting, because I, I grew up on the VHSs of the theatrical <clears> versions. <throat> uh-huh. So my, the version that I always lean, lean back on, and I don't actually like the new Ian McDermott like, I know what the original version looks like, but I still see Ian McDermott in my head when I okay. think about it. Yeah, I, he, had, I, he had that weird eye. Yeah. yeah, I remember the original theatrical version where it was like, I think it was, um, it was voiced by um, Alec Guinness, it was because they didn't get anybody else to do it, but they got Al mm-hmm. Guinness to do the voiceover. And then they had a woman in a mask with a hood on. Right. And it, that was the version that I got attached to in this movie. And when I saw after the prequels came out and they went back and retrofitted Ian McDermott mm-hmm. in there, I didn't. And I think they changed the, what he actually said. Mm-hmm. The, the, the lines were different also. And I, I didn't like it. I was like, yeah. what the heck, man, where's my, where's Palpatine, my Palpatine. Yeah. Like I like the original theatrical version Palpatine. I think that it was one of the things I, no, I yeah, like about it. This, dark side. <laughs> this movie introduced so much cool stuff to, to oh, the yeah. world. you know, it's like Katie was saying, we got Boba Fett and Bosk and IG 88 and mm-hmm. the bounty hunters and, and, and uh, Slave One, you know, there was so many toys. Which is how you correctly pronounce that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's not at 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 um, but you know, it, super the first first appearance of Yoda was always cool to me. You know, I always think yeah. of the scene when Yoda raises the, the X wing oh, out man. of the swamp. It's, it's incredible. A, We're like, that's some freaking stuff there, man. John just, Williams, like, <laughs> like, can we just talk about John Williams for a minute? Like, he just knocked it out of the park oh, yeah. with this dude. Mm-hmm. Like, the music was incredible. And something that I learned, I love listening to uh, um, the soundtrack show. And one of the things that David David W. Collins kind of educated me on is the the amount of interconnected material within the music itself mm-hmm. with the original trilogy where there's actually notes and and phrases within the music of Yoda's theme that aligns with the rebel theme 
And it's it when I listen to him break it down and kind of play those two tracks over each other, and you hear the similar wavelength that the the theme music has. It's, it's it was incredible to me. I'd never really thought about it before, but like watching those those scenes now, I have such a bigger appreciation for John Williams and for uh, the story itself and showing Yoda like showing off his force powers. But like like watching The Empire Strikes Back for me as a kid, I think the the thing that struck me the most was just how how the the heroes that you love so much and are always rooting for are constantly on their heels. Mm-hmm. They never, ever have the upper like, hand. Never in I'll, I'll never forget the first time I saw Darth Vader in his, uh, in his, in his chamber. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And the helmet's coming down and they're over this the scarred, scarred battle, yeah. gross yeah. head. You're like, what the hell does he look like? You know? Yeah. And, you and that know, was the first time we ever like, got oh, a hint. Oh my God. What is, what is under that mask? You know, it's yeah. just like, so we really didn't have a hint as to what was going on with Vader, why he was in the suit until that moment. And yeah. we're like, whoa, he's something's wrong with this guy. That's why he's in this this outfit. Yeah, but Vader's such a boss. In, oh, in my gosh, movie. dude. He takes no... I would never want to be a general underneath him. No prisoners, man. <laughs> it, it, it is funny how like he keeps killing off the incompetent subordinates, and yeah. and every time he does it, you can just see like... Like that final shot where uh, the Millennium Falcon gets away and everyone on the bridge is just like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're, they're just waiting to see what he does. And he just like turns around and leaves and everyone's just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think when I originally saw this, the whole like he's more machine than man thing, I think I just thought he was getting like, he chose that. He was getting upgrades. He'd like, Oh. decided to become more machine than man. I didn't know the story. Did did you guys know the story? No, I don't think like, anybody did. Yeah. Anybody did it okay, that. so I didn't know that there was anything wrong with him. I never thought that there was anything like that had been medically intervened. I just thought, oh, he he decided he would be more powerful as part machine. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah, that's probably a good take, especially not knowing the, the backstory um, before the prequels came out. Yeah, I like that. It's a good idea. Um Anyway, so yeah, like the, the the thing that like really draws me to this movie, and I don't know if I'm just crazy in my head or something, but like the 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 fact that the heroes that we root for are constantly on their heels at every step of the way. Like we start out, like first thing that happens is Luke gets like half eaten by a wampa. Yeah, right. We get him. We get to see him. His face is all bloodied up and scarred. He's hanging upside down, and we get to and see you know, the you know the reason for that because Mark Hamill got in a motorcycle accident yes. and messed up his face. Yep. So they had to come up with a reason why his plastic surgery looked a little different. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that trivia. That's come on, like, man. That's like that Twitter account that asked, like, "Did you know that Harrison Ford played Han Solo?" Katie Shulvier. Katie Shulvier trying to get all. Did you know? Did you know this? <laughs> did you know this? I learned it when I lived in Hollywood. <laughs> and well, I think that this is the reason why there are clauses in people's contracts now, like why you can't oh, yeah. go skydiving if you're <laughs> about to shoot a movie. Oh man. Anyway, so yeah, like just like I I I love the and not the anticipation, that's not the right word to say, but like just the the struggle of watch, thank you, of, of watching our heroes. <laughs> He's the all writer. Thoughts, all, all good thoughts. thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I love watching our heroes just con- continually try and, and gain the upper hand and fail every time. Like we get Han Solo, like right off the bat, like you were saying, the Millennium Falcon's in rough shape. It's got, it's not dealing with the cold very well. It's got broken parts. He's trying to fix it with, with Chewie. And I think one of my favorite things about the Empire Strikes Back is the relationship between Han and Chewie where they're constantly yelling at each other like no don't fix that one fix this one what are you doing i just took that thing apart now you're putting it all back together like i love that banter and it was between 
not only Han and Chewie, but also between Han and Leia, which is such a cool little like a, a way of building a romance between two I people. I love who, he's negging her the whole, whole movie. <laughs> and he's like, Your worship. <laughs> Such a snarky And then by the bridge. time she tells him, I love you, he's just like, like I, I know. Scruffy <laughs> <laughs> looking Scruffy looking. The relationship between all the characters in this movie are just freaking on point. I love it. Every little bit of it is, it just feels so good to be with our heroes again, yeah. but then at the same time to watch them just be like oh like oh crap what's gonna happen now oh crap they gotta get out of this situation like through the entire movie they're they're in a pinch and i just yeah, they're, they're always at a disadvantage yeah they're always on their heels they're always at a disadvantage they're always trying to get to the next step and and ultimately failing i just i don't know what it is man but i this movie this movie gets me there's there's I love there, was just, there was so much cool stuff introduced in this movie yoda was introduced in this movie lando was introduced yeah. in this movie. I mean, he's all right. He's <laughs> the most charming man in the galaxy. <laughs> so much got of a our, whole city full of clouds. So, mu- so much of our Star Wars lore came out of this movie. It's just, it's inc- it was good, it's good stuff. Frank Oz just yeah. nailing it. I, I, how- I really love the the alien puppets. Like, like there, there's just something about the aliens being puppets in Star Wars that made them feel more real than the, like the CGI version. It was a weird offshoot of like the old '70s, like Labyrinth with uh, what was that? David Bowie. I, like, I, I said it felt like very like Fraggle Rock. Yeah. yeah. What, are you, what are we talking about? The, the puppets. The puppets. That, Yoda. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like Yoda, but but you know other other aliens as well. Um, one of the things I really Minox. like about um, like a show like Farscape is they, they did the whole puppets as aliens thing. And I, I guess it's just, it might just be my own personal taste, but like, I really enjoy that aspect of it. Like, something nostalgic like the, the guys in suits and then like the weird puppets and like Jabba being a puppet and stuff like that. There's just something about it that makes it feel more real than when they're just completely CGI. And that's one of the, because one of they the, are real. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's kind of a tough sell though, because honestly, when I watched like labyrinth and some of those older movies from the seventies, that have puppetry and stuff like that. And, and uh, what was it? The dark crystal or whatever. That doesn't, I don't like it. It doesn't get me. I'm like, no, that's that's clearly a puppet. But something about the way I, I have never, ever, in my life looked at Yoda, the original Yoda, and my brain thinks puppet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I think of puppets, I think of the Muppets. I think of Kermit yeah. and his piggy. <laughs> you know, but I, I've never thought, like, I never picture Frank Oz's hand up Yoda's butt, <laughs> moving his arms and face around. I no, never, ever think that. There's something magical about this yeah. that makes Yoda a real character. It's, I, think a, I think a lot of it has to do with the environment that he's in. Because yeah. he's already in such an alien environment. And he looks like he fits in because he looks like a frog. And they're in a swamp. So it's he's already kind of like a part of this world that they created yeah. on Dagobah. And it, it sells it 100%. And it's one of the reasons why I don't think Puppet Yoda worked in the prequels. Because Puppet Yoda in the prequels was like, what is that thing? It's clearly a puppet. Because he was in like a stark, like, you know, real environment with like walls and flooring and, you know, cushions and this and that. But when you put him in the swamp, it just kind of, I don't know, man. I just... This the only puppet that's ever worked for me on screen is Yoda. Like you take a puppet in any other movie, I'm like, nah, that's a puppet, bro. But Yoda, it's like, no, that's Yoda. That's Jedi freaking master Yoda. But we actually get to see Luke train to yes. be a Jedi. Yeah. And yeah. and and we get the sense that he's been experimenting with force powers when he, you know at the beginning when well, he, can, he can barely get a lightsaber yeah. out of the snow. Yeah, but but you get a sense that you know he's been trying to look, like learn this himself. Mm-hmm. And then we finally get to see like him train with like a Jedi master and so like 
his ability to like jump out of that carbonite freezing chamber at the last second, stuff like that. It's all justified by the time you get there. Yeah. And and this is simple setup payoff. It's very important to a hero's journey to make sure that you set up the abilities that they have mm-hmm. <laughs> from the beginning yeah. and yeah. watch them learn how to yeah. use them. That's the most They're important thing. not just thing. given to them by the story. I think, I, okay, so I have a really, really good friend of mine that I, I work with um, and he he doesn't like this movie and, I, and he's a huge Star Wars nerd and he, me and him will go back and forth with movie lines and we'll throw quotes back and forth at each other but like he's like, no, man, I just thought the whole Dagobah thing was boring. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't know what it is about me, but I, when I watch Dagobah, even though it's like a kind of a low point mm-hmm. as far as the action goes in this movie, it, to me, scene? it's the most enthralling part of this movie is watching Luke discover the, I, the fact mm-hmm. that this is a Jedi master. And he's like, no, Ben, tell him I'm ready. And he's like, I want to train as a Jedi. And then you get these lessons from Yoda that are so on point. Like, is the dark side stronger? No, no just quicker and easier and whatever, you know, whatever the line more seductive, more seductive. And I'm like, man, this is, but but it's funny because like the middle of some knowledge, (laughs) the middle of this movie. So you have two main storylines that kind of diverge at the end of the first act where you have Han and Leia being pursued by the the empire. And then you have Luke who's off on Dagobah on his own. And yet Vader is a persistent threat in both storylines. If you, if you look at that scene where Luke goes into the cave to confront uh, whatever's in there. Yeah. And, and, you know, Yoda kind of tells him, like, you won't need your weapon. And Luke's just kind of like, oh, I'm taking my weapon. <laughs> you know, and then he goes in there and he, and he has a showdown with Vader. But then the symbolism of, like, him cutting off Vader's head and then, like, within the mask, it, it's actually Luke. And that kind of setting up the, the whole, like, you know, temptation of, like, what the dark side actually is and how yeah. it, it gets a hold of you. So deep. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, like, it, it, it's so well set up. Uh, especially like when we get to the third movie when, and he's confronting Palpatine and it's not an, an issue of like, oh, you, you got to kill this guy. It's like, if you kill him, you're giving in to the dark side and doing exactly what he wants. And that cave scene kind of perfectly encapsulated the the struggle that he was going to be facing, um, not only at the climax of this movie, but in, in the next movie as well. And it was just very well done. Little Little nerd trivia question but did you guys know that they actually had a fake mark hamill head set up and created uh to be inside the vader mask but then when they shot the the video of it it looked terrible (laughs) so what they did instead was they got mark hamill to stick his head through a hole Mm -hmm. and put the helmet around him and then shot it again already kind of looks terrible (laughs) (laughs) it's terrible jude (laughs) i do have a comment for uh what your coworker was saying about um that uh, whole part of the movie that seemed boring to him. I feel like there's something to be said for um, when Luke kind of, um, he lands and he meets Yoda and he doesn't know who who Yoda is yet. I think that there's something very petulant about him that he's like, I don't have time for this annoying alien. I'm basically a Jedi anyway. (laughs) And there's just something so... um, immature and petulant about his character at that point. So maybe that's what your coworker wasn't liking about that whole maybe like part of the movie was just like that, that Luke is basically an asshole to (laughs) this Jedi master until the second he found out who Yoda was. And then he was all of a sudden like, no, I mean, I'm I'll do whatever you say. And then all of a sudden he wasn't a jerk to to Yoda. Yeah. That was, that was what 
test number one that he failed yeah. or whatever. You're like, failed that test. Yeah. Yeah. Luke just keeps failing his test left and right. <laughs> yeah. Which I have, I'm going to bring this character. up. I'm, we might as well bring it up now because there's no real structure to this podcast. But I wanted to ask you guys like this, this idea that's like floating around, floating around the internet nowadays is that like Luke's constant failure is, is a, a, a way of, of justifying his failure later on in life. But I'm like, I'm watching this this movie and I'm seeing him fail time after time. Do you guys think that him leaving Dagobah to go and save Han and Leia was actually a failure or was that more of, I'm going to ask you first because you haven't talked in a while, but oh, good. is it a... I, uh, I, I don't have an answer. You don't? I, don't, I really bring don't that, know. Give me that microphone. I really, I really don't know. Um, like, is it, do you feel like that was a failure or do you think that was the right thing to do? Him leaving and going to Bespin. I don't know. I really, I just, I don't know. Jude. I think that there is no right or wrong answer to that. I don't think that it was a mistake because ultimately what happened was supposed to happen, but I don't think that it was what Yoda or Ben or Obi-Wan, whatever. Uh, I don't think it's what they wanted for him, but it's the path that Luke chose for himself, but ultimately he chose the right path anyway. So. Kadish, what do you think? Well, it goes to the crux of the character of Luke, where basically he places the lives of his friends and family above anything else, and he's willing to sacrifice everything and for, for their sake and himself. Well, he, he's part of everything. So, I mean, except for um, his aunt and uncle. Well, well, I mean, like I'm sure, like if he was there when when they were being attacked, he would have done everything he could to save them. Um, but I mean, it it goes to the fundamental aspect of the character of Luke is that he embodies hope. He is the new hope in episode four and this idea that he's unable like Obi-Wan and Yoda both want him to complete his training at the expense of his friends lives. And he's unwilling to make that sacrifice. But that's also because of that moral center of his, where he's just loyal to a fault to the people that he cares about. That's also the thing that ultimately redeems Vader because Luke is the one person in the universe who never gave up on him who was willing to go the distance and sacrifice his own life in order to save the life of this father that he never knew. And that is, that is the crux of what makes Luke Skywalker a true hero is that he's willing to do the hard thing when everyone else is, is, you know, unwilling to do that. And this idea that, you know, you're talking about later on in the sequels, and I'm sure we'll talk about this next week, that he basically loses that as he gets older and becomes this like um, fallen hero, this, this, this hermit who basically forsakes his own family and his duty and his responsibility to the galaxy. That's so out of character from, from, from the Luke that we see in these three movies that it, it literally ruins it for everyone who's a fan of that character. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly the point I was trying to get to is like this, this movie is the, the reason why we fall in love with Luke and, Yoda and Obi-Wan have, have essentially given up on Anakin or Vader as a, as a being redeemed. Like, no, we're training you to go and kill him and stop him. Like that's their whole point and mission is that is to raise Luke, make him a Jedi and have him face Vader and kill him and the Palpatine to, to destroy the Sith. But Luke is like, no, there's, there's another way. And I'm going to, they didn't believe it even in the return of the Jedi, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but they were like, no, there's, the emperor's already won if you're not willing to kill your father. Yeah, and if you look at it from a structural point of view, this part, this segment of Luke's journey where he is failing, this is in the hero's journey and in, in the greater scheme of things, this falls into the, the whole like um, 
test allies and enemies approaching the innermost cave and having the ordeal, you know, like, like those are like the, the three parts, the, the three phases of this hero's journey mm-hmm. based off of the structure that Lucas was following. And so it's not that he's failing, it's that he's meeting these obstacles that are teaching him what he has to do in order to like, you know, progress as a character. And that, that's the real difference here is, yeah. is that, you know, this is a, just an, uh, you know, a part of this journey that Luke is on where he has to go through these, these failures in order to come out stronger on the other side. And I think a lot of people who make the argument against that um, kind of miss the point <laughs> you know, of all this stuff. Yeah. But, but there are two parts of this movie I want to talk to you guys about um, before we, we get moving I'll on. I'll talk about anything yeah. Empire Strikes Back. Go ahead. So the, the, the first thing is uh, the most iconic part of, one of the most iconic parts of this movie, in my opinion, is that scene where Han Solo is getting frozen in carbonite and he's being lowered down in there. And you know, like he has that exchange with Leia where she's like, she finally admits I love you. And that's like the culmination of her arc Yeah, where, where, where she allows herself to be vulnerable and actually like admit her feelings for this guy. And you can even see like glimpses of this in a new hope or where she's like looking at Han as he charges off after the stormtroopers. And she's you like, came in that thing yeah. braver than I thought, but, but <laughs> no, 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 this is after that where she's know, she, still she, she, but like the look on her face when he does that, like, like she, like you can tell, like she's, she's what a turned man. on. What exactly. Man. Yeah. Look at him and his hot rod. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, that, that, that scene, like as he gets frozen in carbonite and the music swells and like the, the mist is coming up around Vader's helmet oh. and, and like, 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 what and, a scene. and you just get this and, you know, Chewbacca is screaming because he's seen his friend get, get frozen like that. And like everything about that scene just like is, it's almost celebrating the victory of the bad guys. And it's just so emotional and poignant. And, and I want to know what you guys felt when you first saw that scene. I'll let you guys, I got goosebumps, so I'll let you guys go first. Go ahead, Vader. <laughs> Do you remember that scene? What is it about? Well, yeah, I remember the, the carbon, scene. carbon freezing what, scene. What did I feel? Yeah, what do you feel when you watch that? Um, I feel like Kate has set it up so much that no matter what we say, it's all just going to be like, black. I felt, I felt. You might be right. I had feelings and I felt them. I, I, I felt like it probably hurts to get frozen in carbon. <laughs> Put so much stuff into these things. All what do these you mean? What did processes we think? And write all these books and novels. It's like, uh, <laughs> it must suck to get frozen. Yeah, it probably sucks to get frozen. <laughs> so I don't know, whatever. Jude, how did you feel about that? You know what? Just to tack on what Vader said, uh, yeah, it looks like Why it are hurts. you having a southern accent? <laughs> God damn, she went South County there. Yeah, she did. <laughs> Yeah. I feel good. <laughs> I had feelings and I felt them. <laughs> now you go. That's it? Okay. Well, all right, no, Kadish. Uh, I'll be on your level. Yeah, I don't know. You set it up so <laughs> much. Yes, give us You're 10 minutes like, yeah. of how you felt. Oh, yeah, man, that Han was Solo awesome. That is the, that's, it's the lowest of the low. It's yeah. like your heroes are, are out of the game. Like you're done. You lost. Congratulations. Welcome to the Empire. And yet Here's it's yourself. not over. And yet it's not over. But they still lose anyway. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Like it's it's a pretty low point. Yeah. Which and yet is the part there's of there's still more low to come. Because <laughs> yeah. he's like, I'm going after Luke now. Yeah. And, and, and it's it's kind of the whole job of this sequel to bring your heroes to their lowest point so mm-hmm. that when they rise from that in the third ver- or the third story, yeah. it's an even more triumphant victory. And, the, and this like from Vader's perspective, this was wasn't even like his like Vader this Vader or the no, real no, no, Vader? No, no, no. <laughs> From Darth Vader's doing. perspective, it wasn't even like this is what I'm gonna do to you. It was just like this is a practice yeah. for yeah. what I'm really gonna do to Luke. So let's just make sure it works and it doesn't kill him. 
<laughs> so if it's going to kill him, I'd rather kill this guy. Yeah. You know, he's expendable. And, yeah, he was expendable. So you were going to say something? Sorry. Okay. No. Uh, I just, I, I love this scene. I think it's, it's the ultimate bad guy, like montage where you have like Boba Fett there and you've got the steam and the orange coloring with the blue, which is like oh, yeah, scientifically the, the, the cinematography. Yeah. The cinematography scene. in this episode is the friggin- set design. Yeah. I, I mean the blue and, and orange is like scientifically and, studied to, make yeah. humans react in a and, certain way. And, you way. know, going back to Kurosawa, so, like, if you look at the, uh, the the Hidden Fortress, he uses fog in that uh, movie, like, like like a master. Like, it, it, it's such a integral part of certain scenes, the way Kurosawa always uses some type of weather in, in his movies. And Irving Kushner, the guy who directed Empire Strikes Back, in this scene, he uses the, the steam and the fog um, in much the same way that Kurosawa employs it in, in the Hidden Fortress. It's it's so, so masterfully done. So good. Yeah. That scene where the steam rises up and you just see Vader's helmet and you got the music and the sound mm-hmm. of all the machinery and stuff. You're like, dang, man. Mm-hmm. Like it just it hits on all cylinders on that start on and, that point. And that setting is actually the part of the second thing I want to talk about, which was Luke's confrontation with Vader. This is, this is the first time that Luke and Vader meet face to face. And um when George Lucas saw the first cut of um of Empire and he watched this scene and Vader has is fighting Luke one handed. He lost his his stuff because, you know, he he's like they're supposed to be like like um oh, like, like, like samurai. Heavy. Yeah. They're supposed to always fight with two hands. And Kirshner w- w- was like, Well, we we had a, a plan for this. And it's it's really interesting if you watch the fight with between Luke and Vader, because at first Vader kind of underestimates Luke and he's fighting him one handed because he's toying with him. He's yeah. kind of like testing to see like how much he's learned. And then once Luke starts like kind of like manhandling him, like kicking him off like platforms <laughs> and stuff, Vader's not having any of no, it. He gets pissed. And, and, and so like when he comes back, he just starts like, like messing Luke up. And, and, and so like the, there, there's this kind of like progression of, of the showdown where, you know, at first it's all like, you know, like I'm just trying to get you into this freezing chamber and it's all too easy. And then like, Oh, impressive. And then he's like, Oh, I got kicked off the, the platform. Yeah. And so now Dude, he, I feel like that was a, part of his almost part of his plan no i i think that luke actually kind of surprised him and and that's why in the next scene when when he runs into him in the he's hallway not taking any prisoners oh, oh no no <laughs> he, he's he's messing him up you know what i thought was interesting too this is like a super deep cut but during that very scene like right after he gets kicked off the ledge luke goes down this little labyrinth of tunnels and he finds his way into this hallway on and next to the big window you don't hear anything which is weird because Vader's got this very iconic breathing and you can always hear it. And that's how you know he's coming. That's how, like in Rogue One, you heard the breathing before you saw the lightsaber type of thing. But you don't hear anything until you see the lightsaber come down and then all of a sudden you hear Vader go, like he was holding, holding his, his breath. He was holding yeah. his breath so he wouldn't give away his position. I love that stuff, Using man. the force. <laughs> force I mean, breath. I mean, like Vader throughout this entire movie is, is such a force to be reckoned with. Like he, he doesn't suffer fools easily. Like he literally, now that Tarkin's not around to rein him in, he like just starts killing the people who, you know, fail to do their job to his satisfaction. Yeah. But also like he's, you know, he's doing things like, you know, like I've altered the deal, pray I don't alter it again. And (laughs) like, like he's just like, he takes control of every situation that he's in. And in this final fight with Luke, um, you know, he's like when Luke kind of gets tossed out of of that window and he like climbs back up on the scaffold and he's trying to find his way 
back inside Cloud City. Invader surprises him and just starts like like you know just going ham on him with, with, yeah, with, with, <laughs> with his lightsaber. Yeah, yeah at, but but he's like you know just uh, like Luke is just completely outmatched by his saber skills and then he loses his hand, and and at that point now that Vader's kind of like like has him at his mercy at that point that's when Vader's like okay now you're going to come with me, and even after Luke chooses to throw himself to his death as opposed to like join Vader, uh, Vader is still trying to like track him down and capture him, you know, at the end. Oh there. yeah. Yeah. Uh, be, because like he still, ha- he, you know, Vader is just so like relentless and, and obsessed with, you know, achieving this goal and the whole like reveal that Vader is Luke's father. You should, uh, God, you're just blowing through this whole movie, dude. <laughs> well, I, I mean like, like that, that's part of the scene. And that was like, you know, I, I, I can't remember, uh, you know, I wasn't in the theater when, when that bomb was dropped, but, you know, can you imagine being in the theater and having that moment come up and, okay. and everyone being like, what the? F-? You know? <laughs> that, that's exactly what it was. Oh, did, were you in the theater? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, tell please reaccount, recount the. It was the, just like he just saw. I mean, it was a long time ago. I know. But I just remember everybody being completely surprised. It's like, he's what? <laughs> Darth Vader's Luke's dad? No, he's lying. It can't Search your feelings. You, yeah. you know people thought he was lying? Yeah, but then, you know, you kind of think back to the swamp scene where Luke's in the helmet and all that kind of stuff and you kind of tie it together and it's yeah. like, oh, okay, maybe he isn't lying. And yeah, it was it was a shock. It was definitely a uh, one of those classic moments, one of those big yeah. WTF moments in the movie theater and everybody's like, whoa. I'm so... It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wild. I'm so jealous of people Didn't they keep that a secret in the script? Also, yes. until like the last minute. Oh yeah, yeah. Nobody knew except for George Lucas. Uh, I think David Prowse knew, but but that was because he spoke German. Um, uh, Lucas knew, and James Earl Jones knew because James Earl Jones got a different type of script. Uh-huh. And I think one of the stories that Mark Hamill always talks about is like, I was in the theater and I was sitting next to Harrison Ford, and Harrison goes, "You didn't tell me that, kid." He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I, didn't, "I wasn't supposed to tell you." <laughs> this was this was long before the. The, the internet, the internet yeah, days, the wiki leaks ruined, and all this yeah. other nonsense. You yeah. want to know why I think this movie turned out so good? It's because George Lucas had the A team, a director, uh, Kushner. He had the A team of the writers with with Kasdan, and then he had the world building of George Lucas, the cinematography, uh, the uh, Phil Tippett who did the the uh, ATAT. I mean, this is like yeah, like three different dudes playing Vader, dude. He I, did too. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, I think the reason this turned out so good is like this. This is the one Star Wars movie, the original trilogy, that George Lucas had the least involvement in. Ouch! Shots wow. fired. It's his birthday, oh, dude. It's very true. And, it is and, true. And, the, and it's the birthday the, roast. The real pe- the, the real people behind this movie. It, was, it came down to three people. It was Lawrence Kasdan, who was the screenwriter. Mm-hmm. It was Irving Kirshner, who was the um, director, and he was also George Lucas's former film professor at UCL at USC. And um, it was Gary Kurtz, the producer. And Gary Kurtz was really kind of like the driving factor in both A New Hope and um, and uh, Empire Strikes Back, because he was the one who really wanted to put the characters kind of at the forefront and and have it be about like their relationships and their struggles as opposed to like the big overarching kind of like blockbuster plot. That was uh, Lucas's strong suit. And throughout the course of making this movie, Kushner and, um, and Kurtz went over budget. They, they went over, you know, uh, over schedule. And because of these budget overruns, because initially Star Wars was actually being financed by Lucas. 
And he had to go to Fox to get money to finish the film. And Fox demanded that he give up part of his, you know, merchandising rights in order to, you know, justify the, uh, the cost of, you know, these overruns. And it was because Lucas had to like, you know, give up that sizable chunk of money that he ended up firing Kurtz and Kushner for the third film and uh, bring on a whole new creative team for that. Bad move. Bad move, man. Should have kept him. This movie is just so damn perfect. It I is. I, 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 I was telling Matt earlier. <laughs> you just settle down. <laughs> well, I, I was telling Matt earlier. Like I was, I was so shocked at how elegant and well done these movies are, even 30 years after they've been made. Um, especially in comparison to like the sequels that, that we've gotten from Disney. Like there, there's just no comparison. Like, you know, Matt was talking earlier about how that scene where Vader kneels down to a holographic version of Palpatine. There's that exact same scene in the force awakens where they're in front of a holographic version of Snoke yeah. and, and it doesn't carry any of that, that same weight or like, you know, just being like, Oh wow, that's our first look at the emperor. Too soon. You know? It was too soon. <laughs> Yeah. Why, yeah. Is, why is Snoke so big? <laughs> oh, you remember, remember the theory that he was like some kind of a giant? He's a or giant. Like like, <laughs> yeah, I remember all well, that. The Emperor's head was 20 feet wide in the <laughs> Empire, so why couldn't Snoke be big? Yeah. yeah. But uh, th- this whole you know, trilogy, but this movie in particular, is really the, cr- the heart of what Star Wars is to me, which is you know these underdogs who are just constantly overcoming impossible in, in obstacles at great personal sacrifice. And, and that's the message of any good war movie really yeah. is, is the ability for, for heroes to sacrifice themselves for the greater good. And nothing encapsulates that more than empire strikes back. In my opinion, I 100% agree with you real quick going around the table. Favorite scene, Jude, favorite scene from empire strikes back. Uh, come back to me. <laughs> Matt Vader, favorite scene from empire. Strikes back. <laughs> Don't say come back to me. Um, <laughs> Like caterish talk for both of us. <laughs> no, shut up, you guys. Come on. <laughs> There's so many. So many. Um, favorite. Favorite. What is, probably it? the dad reveal. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right has on. to be the dad reveal. It's like, I'm your father. It's like, okay. Yeah, that was like we said. Yeah. That blew the theater up. So I, I'll, I'll go with that. God, I'm so jealous. I guess, I guess yeah. mine's probably the training in the swamp. And you, with Yoda? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's yeah. really an important part of that. That scene where Yoda lifts the X-Wing out of the water. Oh, that's pretty sweet. The yeah. music Proof is so size amazing. matters not. Yeah. Luminous beings, are yeah. we? Not this crude matter. God, there's so many good lines I always, I always liked how they went into the, the force in this movie. Oh, yeah. We didn't have to have it explained to us with midi chlorines and that kind of nonsense. I think it was. I think it was explained perfectly. I did, movie. too. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I was so upset with the... I don't, I don't really stuff. believe there needs to be any more explanation than nope. what's in Empire. I feel like it's perfect the way it is. Um, my favorite scene, I'll just go real quick. Um, it's got to be as when, when Luke walks up the staircase towards Vader and he pulls out his lightsaber and ignites his lightsaber in front of Vader and then they cross blades for the first time. Like that, gosh, just thinking about it, man, gets me amped. Like just watching like yes i'm rooting for luke but i know he's gonna fail every time but i'm like yes he's got it this time he's got it this yeah. time and that image of like vader's silhouette against oh, the, the the blue, blue background. background dude yeah. gosh that i mean if this movie if any movie is going to get me into like filmmaking and cinematography and lighting and all that stuff it's going to be this one like so beautifully ever, shot well they don't do it that way anymore i know it's all cgi it's all done on a computer now. <laughs> anyway uh Kadish, what's your absolute favorite scene from this movie I really like the I love you, I know scene mm. where, where Han Solo is getting frozen in carbonite. A romantic right? at heart. 
the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, there's just so much emotional weight to that scene. Um, and, uh, it's, it's something that, you know, it, it's so iconic and it, it, it's so tragic at the same time and so heartbreaking, but it, 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 it's the most true emotional moment in the entire, you know, series, I think. And now, you said when we were watching this that you thought that Harrison Ford had ad libbed. He did. He moment. did. Yeah. He did ad lib that. Yep. They, they they froze him, right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't know if he was going to come back for the exactly. third movie. Yep. Yeah, I think, uh, was it um, Kasdan and Harrison <laughs> both wanted to kill off? It, it was Gary Kurtz. Gary Kurtz? Okay. Yeah. I know Harrison Ford wanted to also, because he yeah. talks about that all the time. He was like, I told George just to kill my character off to make it like... <laughs> Because I didn't want to come back for the fourth, third one or whatever. (laughs) But George, well, this is a testament to George, too, because I know we kind of rag on him a little bit for some of his (laughs) ideas and stuff. But, like, one of the things about George is, like, no, I want these movies to be hopeful. I want these movies to be, uh, give people a good feeling at the end of the day. And to kill off one, I'm never going, he's like, I'm not going to kill off Gary Kurtz's vision for how the saga should have ended um, was a bit of a downer. Yeah. Yeah. It was like like Luke Skywalker, he he wins, but at the same time he kind of loses. Uh Han Solo dies. Yeah. Uh, you know, Leia goes on to like lead the New Republic, but she's all alone. Like like there 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 was like this bittersweet ending planned. And I'm kinda glad that George kind of stepped in and said, like, no, we're not gonna do that. But then Disney comes in and ruins everything. So <laughs> you can't help but mention it, can you? Yeah. Um yeah, no, I'm I'm this is this is the one of the time that I'm gonna be on George's side hundred percent. Like I, I feel like that hopeful ending and not killing off any of your main characters was a big positive point for uh for this trilogy. I think it, it, I'm glad he stuck with his guns on that. Although I am glad that he he gave the reins over to some more capable people when it came to directing and writing some of these movies because they're so freaking good. <laughs> George Lucas is the rebellion and Disney is the empire. He lived long enough to become the villain. <laughs> you could say that too. <laughs> All right, real quick, uh, before we get on to our next subject, which is Return of the Jedi, I just wanted to let people know who are listening. If you guys are interested in supporting the podcast and you want some cool stuff, you can go to saltynerdstore.com. We've got coffee mugs, T-shirts with different sayings from the show, like be a salty justice warrior or ambassador of estrogen, or you can be a, a bat rat spider crab or whatever stuff. We have like funny little sayings from the TV show that you guys can, or TV show from the podcast that you guys can go. Also, and, uh, we're coming out with a TV <laughs> show. <Yay>. Spoiler. <laughs> TNT. No, uh, you guys can go to saltynerdstore.com. Check out all of our stuff there. And anything you buy, of course, goes to helping the podcast grow uh, so that we can make more awesome content. Um, are you guys ready to talk about Return of the Jedi? Heck yeah. Uh, I was born. <laughs> Return of the Jedi, the uh, last in this original trilogy of films by George Lucas that were just incredible. Um, we catch up with our heroes. We get to see them fail in Empire Strikes Back. Han is lost to Jabba the Hutt and the bounty hunter known as Boba Fett. And uh, we're... We're, we're introduced. I think this movie starts out with C-3PO and R2-D2, right? Doesn't uh, everybody who's it, listening to this show know that already? Yes, it, it everybody does. So it actually starts off with Vader. <laughs> oh, that's right on the Death Star, huh? Yeah. That's right, yeah. And he's like, oh, do it. Okay, yeah, he so, announces the Emperor's... Well, I, love Vader, I like, love that scene. But the whole the whole first five minutes. Nothing closer to you. I love that scene. The whole first five minutes is fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, the yeah, that's right. The Star Destroyer comes overhead. The little Tridarian shuttle drops out. It flies over to the Death Star, and, and Vader walks out. And that, I mean, what a freaking another entrance, right? The the ramp come down, and all you see is his boots just yep. coming off that ramp. The man knows how to work a runway. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, 
he found a better polisher for his suit <laughs> because the dude is shiny. He's yeah. shiny. <laughs> he comes off that Tridarian shuttle just looking like a freaking sparkly new pair of boots, man. Like he just Somebody got his suit Somebody spit up. on him and shined it up. <laughs> it's, it's not, that wasn't the shuttle Tidarian. Not Tridarian. Oh, that's not the name. It's the name of the shuttle that they stole. That's right. What's the, the name point? of the actual shuttle? model number i can't remember uh, i'm gonna have to ask this guys over at scarif because they probably know this stuff they're smarter than i win am. a free salty sticker if you can tell yeah. us yeah. before we can google it <laughs> but the movie starts off by setting up the new death star and the fact that the emperor is coming how did you guys feel about like back then versus now the because now it's kind of a cliche <laughs> with the new death star oh they built another death star but like back then was it like a are they really reusing that? Or was it more of like, a, oh, no, that makes sense that they would try and make another one? I always thought it was kind of lazy. Yeah. Right? Like, I would have rather they had come up with, like, a new super weapon. But, you know, rewatching it, like, now, as an adult, I'm just like, it's fine. But yeah. it's a super-duper yeah, Death Star. A fully functional Death Star. Three times the size. Yeah, I've been built- pulling my hoodie down over my face every night this week and saying Palpatine. <laughs> and- yeah, she's just sitting next to me like, Palpatine, Palpatine. <laughs> every, 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 time the uh, hate. every time the Emperor comes on, she's just like, yes, good. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate <laughs> <laughs> To answer the question, it's a Lambda Class T4A shuttle. Thank you. Oh. Okay. Thank Th- you. Thank you, Lord Google. Lord Google. <laughs> Google. <laughs> What did you think about the second Death Star, Vader? Vader, you get a free salty sticker. Oh, good. <laughs> um, did you think it was like a cop-out, or were you like, ooh, a new one? I, when I was, what, 13, I didn't care. I thought it was pretty cool. What about that? It's what like, oh, this now? one's not finished yet. They're going to be able to fly right in the center of it. I, I, no problem. You'd think. <laughs> <laughs> what about now, though? Did you, like, now that I, it's kind I of still like cliche, it. you still like it? I still it. like it, sure. Got to get to pass. I'm not going to change my mind 40 years later. <laughs> But, it, you know, it is funny how these movies all follow the same structure where they always start off with kind of like a, a scene that sets up the adventure to come. And yeah. then they kind of move to a uh, almost a like, like, yeah, an isolated um, adventure where, you, you know, it kind of um, sets the the motion for the, the story to follow. So like in the first movie you had, you know, the, the droids getting picked up by the Jawas and sold to the Lars um, homestead. And then you have... Um, in, the Battle of Hoth and Empire. And then in this one, you have the rescue at Jabba's Palace. And they all kind of like almost stand on their own as like their own like little mini movies. Yep. Uh, but they're just kind of like the prelude to what's to come. Speaking of the the rescue of Han Solo, like I, I can't wait to kind of dig into this because like in the theatrical version, this was one of my favorite sequences, but in the special edition, that musical number that they oh, did, there just totally kind of kills it. it yeah. <laughs> I love the original one so much more than this new one. Cause it's so, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more subtle, I guess would yeah. be the word. It's just not, not as, as in your face. Yeah. Like, like, they don't stop the movie to do a musical number. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of just part of the world. It's do, not, do, 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 yeah. do, 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 do. God, man, that musical is, I don't, I've never understood why George put that in the movie. I, Never. I it it makes no sense. It was more in tune with his original ver- vision. Bullshit. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it was, it's, he started to get the, uh, pre- the techno- prequelitis because yeah. he had to test his stuff. Well, for well, the, the technology. Uh, the technology. This was the time frame where he was like replacing guns with walkie-talkies and in, in Spielberg's movies and stuff like that. Like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg literally had no one around to tell them this was a bad idea. <laughs> Uh, so like just left to their own devices. It's kind of like, you know, we talked about how a a hero needs struggles to overcome so they can like come out the other side wiser. 
Spielberg and Lucas both need people to push back against their ideas because sometimes their ideas are not very good. Nope. Well, that's true of anybody. But well, yeah. So let, let's talk about this uh, this rescue mission since we're, this is the beginning of the film. After we get introduced to Vader and the new Death Star and all that stuff, we get we catch oh, up with. Oh, 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 oh. I know that laugh. Um, <laughs> I can't help it, man. I got to say the lines. <laughs> um, oh, that's so, how Kadish was the entire time we were watching. Oh, dude, I could literally. I, I, I was literally. I kept like, thinking he was re- talking to me, and I'd be like, "What?" Lines. And I'd be like, "Oh." I, I, right. I do the same thing. It drives my wife crazy. I recorded myself doing it in front of my kid, and my kid just gives me such the dirty, look, dirtiest look ever. He's looking at me like you're such a nerd, Dad. <laughs> but what, what you're ruining this for me. <laughs> Once more, this movie starts off with the two lowest characters yep. being the ones who kind of lead the action. Yeah. And we get that that funny little like eyeball robot that kind of yeah. pops out and says like, bah, 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 bah. Yeah. I can't remember how it works, but uh, but, little... but he comes back in the Mandalorian. I love seeing that in yeah. the Mandalorian. <laughs> yep, I like the idea because I I know people complain that like there's too many Easter eggs in the Mandalorian. It's kind of just like rehashing the same thing. I'm like, no, it's like a security droid. Like you go and pick up a security. It's like a ring doorbell. Yeah, like a ring doorbell. Everybody <laughs> has one. <laughs> I love that idea. It's like, what do you want? <laughs> although although that. That the, the eyeball <laughs> <It> screams. <laughs> yeah, the eyeball thing it, it apparently is programmed to feel pain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> grabs it and pulls it out. But, but there's that other droid in Jabba's workshop. They're like basically torturing. Like, like yeah. you know, they're, they're like okay. soldering his feet. Well, we're gonna get to the droid. It's in like a minute. it's like no no no, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> which makes no sense. Yeah, whatsoever. it doesn't make any sense. There's another droid in the, in Jabba's palace that always freaked the hell out of me as a kid is the giant spider one right after mm-hmm. yeah. uh, they come into the yeah. big main vault. It's just like a, a walking spider what with a white bulb on its butt. <laughs> I was like, what is that thing? And what does it do? It's just there know. to intimidate yeah. It's an all-terrain walker droid. All-terrain rocker droid. I like that. It's, it's you should work for the story group at Lucasfilm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I could. <laughs> okay, let's, real quick, what, what I wanted to do <laughs> is kind of break down this rescue mission that mm-hmm. Luke, Leia, and Lando come up with because it's bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> So first, we have the droids, R2 and C-3PO, go in there and do what? They offer themselves... Well, that, they're to, to deliver a message, deliver a from, message Luke. from Luke, right? Yeah. And yeah. he offers them as a gesture of goodwill to the great and powerful Unbeknownst to them. Yeah, they didn't know. Well, yeah. well, well no, R2 knew. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 3PO didn't. Okay, well, poor 3PO. Yeah. <laughs> they can't keep his mouth shut, so... Yeah, this is true. Yeah, and, and he's a coward, so he'd have given up the plan. Like right away. Oh, I see. Okay. But R2, like he needed to be embedded so he could get Luke's lightsaber. Right. Okay. Which, so, so that was step one was to embed the droids with Jabba. But if plan A worked, why would Luke, how would Luke get the droids back? They knew plan A was never going to work. Is that how it, is that how it's going to go? Like yeah, we Jabba know was never going to give up Han Solo. We're going to put them in there knowing that he's going to just hoodwink us and yeah. not give us anything. Yeah. And don't forget, Lando was already there. Yeah, yeah. Lando's been there for a while, <laughs> apparently. And, he's and like, he probably could have gotten the droids out. He got the job, right? He went for the in. He went for Land, the Lando was Plan B. It's like, hey, can I be a guard for Jabba's palace? And they were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah J- sure. Jabba the Hutt actually has a pretty diverse hiring strategy. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of people of color working yeah. for Jabba. Yeah. yeah, got green pigs and. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of weird and things. And if you come in with a bomb, he respects you more. Yes. Oh, 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 oh. That's a boss move, too. Huh? Leia comes in there, which we don't know it's Leia at the time. What's? Does anybody know her, her secret? Bounty hunter name? Yeah, the bounty hunter name, the secret code name? I used to, but I forgot. I forgot it, too. I'm sure, the, again, this it's is... my safe word. <laughs> That's not weird at all. I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she comes in there, and, and she's... um. So she brings Chewbacca. Yeah. So she, as a bounty, like, hey, there's a, a price of what thirty five thousand, whatever, 
Yahweh's or something. Twenty five. Twenty five. Is it twenty five or thirty five? It was twenty five, and then and she, won, she wanted fifty. She wanted fifty, and they yeah. settled on thirty five. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. So and they, I do recommend you take it. Yeah, because <laughs> she's holding a thumb on detonator. <laughs> I love this movie. His name was Boosh. Boosh. Yeah, that's funny. so yeah. Booshy. <laughs> Boosh. The, I love your googling. <laughs> Google food. This is awesome. I'm only going to say it if I want you to stop. They're going to take our. They're going to take our nerd creds for not knowing. I, I don't care. Nerd. Anyway, um, I've got more nerd cred in my big toe than half the people out there. So. True that, man. True that. Um. So okay, so they bring they bring Chewbacca in there as a bounty, and and they sell him off for thirty five thousand, whatever credits, whatever they want to call it. So Starbucks. Then, Starbucks. <laughs> so then he gets put into a prison cell, and then that gives Leia free reign in in the temple. She mm-hmm. could just go and walk about, and she because she's good, like she's part of the family yeah. now. She's, she's probably part of the crew, man. The mighty yep. Chewbacca, and. So she is meant to go and rescue Han. Well, she's meant to free Han from the carbonite. <coughs> but how are they going to get... If Okay, again, if that worked, how are they going to get... Because it seemed like they were surprised that they got caught. So if that worked, how are they going to get Chewbacca out? Lando. 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 Okay. Well, now, I think now, the original plan is for Luke to go in there and just and wreck out. Jedi mind trick them all and walk out with everybody. But it didn't quite work out that no, way. No, it didn't so. work. What did he say to him? You're silly Jedi. Mind yeah, that doesn't work on Java. Yeah. Because what is it with people on Tatooine who don't get fooled? Is it because of greed, right? It has well, something to well, do no, with greed? It, no, it has to do with having a strong mind. Mm. So like only the weak-minded can be Jedi mind trick. Oh, that's right. He says that in the, A New Hope. Yeah. Yeah. The Force can be a powerful... Here you go. There you go with the lines. There you go, Mr. Everything's turned... Everything has to do with the lines. The circle is complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. <laughs> if you set it up, I have to do it. Uh, okay, so so this plan does kind of make sense then, because well, yeah. I've heard multiple people say that the the plan to rescue Han Solo was just well, you know, nonsense. I, I kind of go back to Vader's um, backup plan in uh, you know uh, the Empire Strikes Back with the Falcon. Yeah, with the Falcon, where he he's like, I know that they're different ways this could work out. So I'm just going to cover all my bases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Luke kind of learns that lesson. And so like by the time it, it comes to rescue Han, he has a plan and it could work out multiple ways. And in a way I, I'm even wondering if he's used the force to kind of try to see the different outcomes hmm. and, and plan for those. And, you know, they never explicitly state this stuff yeah. in, in, in the, in the movie. But the thing is, is like all the parts are in place where it could go multiple different ways. Uh, like I don't think he Luke ever planned to be dropped into the Sarlacc pit or not the Sarlacc pit, the, uh, the Rancor pit. Um, but once he was there, he kind of had to like improvise and overcome it uh, in order to proceed with his plan. So like there, there were definitely like kind of like little obstacles thrown in there that they weren't expecting. Um, I don't think Leia planned to be like enslaved to Java, you know, yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that. But once, she didn't once, bring that bikini with her. Yeah, but once that <laughs> once that happened, um, they kind of just had to roll with it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I'm I'm liking this conversation because it's making me feel like that whole plan made more sense than like I used to actually think like it was just a bunch of nonsense. But now that we're kind of breaking it down, I, I feel like we're I'm a little bit more confident. In how you, How do you feel about Java getting choked out? Does he even I have a neck? Freaking love it. <laughs> yes, he has a neck, and I love the fact. Okay, so this is one of the things. 
that people nowadays kind of com- complain about Leia being like objectified in this bikini. And I'm like, get out of here. She freaking killed the guy <laughs> who put her in that bikini with the yeah. very chain she was tied up with. I mean, she might as well have just been screaming, fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she did it. How much more of an F the patriarchy. This is what I think of your patriarchy. <laughs> it chokes the dude out with his I own that chain. I don't, I don't even like that dumb word. Patriarchy. <laughs> What an epic, like, the, the female... Hot, hot yeah, the hot archie. Yeah. <laughs> the penis archie. What? How did you... Okay, oh, actually, before we get to, to Leia, and I'll talk to you about Leia in a minute, but I wanted to get... Don't you point at me, sir. I'm talking about you and Leia, because you <laughs> love Leia, and I know you do, because you're a woman. <laughs> we both have vaginas. Because <laughs> you both have vaginas. Anyway, uh, the Rancor Pit. I want to get... Because you saw it in theaters. Yes. Vader, and I want to know... Did that rancor just scare the bejesus out of you as a kid? Because it scared the hell out of me. Um, no, I, no? I, was, I was 13. I thought it was pretty cool. Really? It, it, nothing in this movie scared me, dude. Okay. It's not also, a, this is the guy that a, wanted to be Darth Vader. It's not a yeah, scary true. movie. It's it's. Yeah, but that a rancor cool is freaking gnarly, dude. It, it was cool. Yeah. It's like, wow, how'd they do that? That's that's what <laughs> I was wondering about right? that. It was all puppetry? Yeah. It was stop yeah. motion. Stop motion and puppetry mixed together. Because, I mean, it grabs Luke... Or Mark Hamill, like yeah, it's a mixture of different yeah. different ways of doing it. You, you know, my favorite part about the Rancor scene, and uh, Return of the Jedi actually has a lot of moments like this, where th- there's these little like character moments that are peppered in throughout this movie that just make it so much more interesting to me. Like after the Rancor gets killed, oh. its trainer yeah. and handler comes yeah. in, and he's like crying. devastated, crying that, his that this died. terrible monster ha- has has died in. Like whenever I watch, I'm always like, I wonder what his story is. <laughs> I, I, I wonder, like, did he find the rancor in an egg and like raise it from like a little rancor into like this big rancor? Like, what He's was that relationship? Hagrid. Yeah, like, like little things like that just like make this universe like so fascinating. Especially like there was a moment at the end of the movie where the Ewoks are fighting. You're getting way out of us. I, I know. This is just a quick <laughs> aside, though. And, and you know, like, these two Ewoks are running, and there's this explosion, oh, and they, yes. they both hit the ground, and then, like, <laughs> one of them recovers, and he kind of, you know, shakes Nudges his friend to, to, oh. to get him back up, oh. and, and his friend's dead, oh. and, and, he, and when, once he realizes it, he just kind of, like, like, you know, kind of kneels at his side and just is sad. And, <laughs> and th- this is happening in the middle of, like, the, the film's climactic battle. Yeah. And, you know, like... You could have easily left that little thing out, just like you could have left out that that moment where you know the Rancor's trainer like mourns over like losing him. But the fact that they decided to keep those little bits in just makes this movie so much more real and so much more emotionally resonant. Even though like these are like throwaway characters, the you don't e- really yeah. care about them. The Ewok scene for sure, like yeah. that definitely hits you, especially as a kid when you're watching your teddy bears like get blown up by the Empire, mm-hmm. and you're like, what the hell? Uh, the one before we get to Jude, there's one more scene I'm talking about leaving things out and like deleted scenes and whatnot. There was one scene that I do actually wish that they would have left in the movie is when Luke is, is, uh, sensing that Darth Vader is calling to him through the force as he's creating his new green lightsaber. Cause we have, we have no, we have no idea at this point that Luke made a new lightsaber cause he lost his in, in Bespin. And we we're not expecting like this is a big reveal that Luke has a green lightsaber now. It's like super cool, and we I I feel like we should have known at least a little bit something. I mean, I, I get I guess now I get why they did it because they wanted the big reveal to be during the fight scene. But I'm like, man, that was such a cool scene where he's like in the cave and he's got his hood on and he's like building a new lightsaber. I, I've never felt that way about that scene. No, no. Oh, I thought it was super cool. It is a cool scene, but I don't think it 
needed to be in the movie. Yeah. You guys, because there is that scene later where Vader is examining the lightsaber and he's like, you built your own lightsaber. Yeah, I guess so. And like, you know, so like they, they, even though they don't set it up right at the beginning, eventually they justify why it's there, which is just another sign of good writing. (laughs) (laughs) There's, um, uh, a cool fan theory that I kind of attach myself to uh, when it comes to Luke and his, his green Kyber crystal for his lightsabers. I like the idea that since they're back on Tatooine, he goes back to Obi-Wan's hut and he goes and gets Qui-Gon Jinn's old lightsaber and takes the crystal out of that to make his. And I'm like, that's where he got the green lightsaber like that. I mean, to me, I know it's not Canon and it's probably just a bunch of bull crap, but to me, I think that makes the most sense. And I love that theory. (laughs) It might be another, um, theory could be that he found a remnant kyber crystal from the destruction of the death star Mm. because once the death star because you know in rogue one they they set up that it's powered by kyber crystals and that once you know it it fired off once and and fused all those kyber crystals together like they were all just like green and so when the death star blew up these fragments all kind of fell on yavin so when luke went back to yavin found enough of these crystals to Manufacturer's lightsaber. I like that too. So he's technically wielding the Death Star. <laughs> Kate is just a writer. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. Uh, okay, so Jude, back to you. Um, Leia being the slave of Jabba the Hutt, this ugly green, not green, but ugly slug. like slug type creature thing. What did that Am mean? Am I personally offended by it? No, what did that mean to you as like a, a, a young woman like growing up? Did you see Leia and be like, yeah, like does that have any impact on you or did you not care about that? Um, because like as a guy growing up watching Luke Skywalker like kick butt on Tatooine and, and take out Jabba's like entire force of bounty hunters, like that was a big moment for somebody like me growing up. I just, I was curious, does it, nothing? I'm not sure what you're asking. <laughs> did, did it have, did it make you feel good to did, be like, yeah, did you get there, tingling in your lady like, bits? There's my, <laughs> there's my hero, the type of moment. Did you have any of that? Well, I mean, I I've said before, I've never really personally connected with Leia. Um, but seeing her sort of being, um, um, like having to be the submissive and she's been this very dominant, headstrong, take charge, character uh it didn't matter for me that she's a woman or that she has a vagina or whatever for me it was about the character being the person who was coming in to rescue someone and then the next time you see her she's a slave so that that was more um emotional for me rather than just seeing her uh, become his like sex slave or whatever but Mm. Also, I thought she looked hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so did. I don't I don't hate her in the bikini or with the chain around her neck. I thought that was kind of awesome. You know, me, me personally, when I, when I was a kid and watching that scene and seeing Leia in, in the slave Leia outfit um, and, you know, being you know attracted to her. Yeah. Like that made me just ship her and Luke harder. And what? then like and then later on in the movie, you find out, oh, they're related. Oh, what about it, Han and Leia? Though? Well, I always thought I always wanted Leia to be with Luke instead of Han because, huh. because Luke was always the main character. And so growing up, I was, I was like, Luke and Leia should be, and when I had my toys, they were always boyfriend <laughs> and girlfriend. Uh, you know, so what if, yeah, I, I, the, I was like the, dark helmet. It's like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> playing with my toys. And the part where she kisses Luke just to spite Han never comes up again. Yeah. Ever. yeah, no, that, yeah. that didn't happen. That's there was no tongue. It didn't. Well, come. we don't talk about that in, in the, in the middle movie. They, they didn't know that they were related. No, I know. 
Yeah. Just Neither did no, Lucas. no, I'm, I'm not saying the characters. No, I'm saying that the the filmmakers didn't yeah. have the didn't know they were related. That wasn't a decision until they start making Return of the Jedi. Anyway, <laughs> Vader. <laughs> What did you think about the uh, the escape from Jabba's palace and the the Sarlacc pit? Did, is there anything that sticks you, out? You to mean you? the sand vagina? Sand the giant sand angry vagina. <laughs> Wasn't this when George Lucas was going through his divorce? I connected more with you that. You know, I later. never thought about people's bits and parts ever <laughs> when I was watching these movies. Not once, ever. So what, like, what did you think about that scene though? Was, is there any part of it that you were like, man, I freaking love that part? Yeah, I, I thought it was just a fun scene. You yeah. know, it was like, oh, they got the. Sand creature the, and the tentacles coming out. And, well, well, that was the special in, edition. Yeah, in the special edition, they actually had to add yeah. stuff to it to make it look less vagina-y. <laughs> <laughs> that never crossed my mind. Never. In the less years. labia? Less, Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, used, yeah, I just, I remember the story. He was ruining this movie for Somebody me. told me that it was around the time that Lucas was having a hard time with his, with his wife, and I was like, uh, makes sense. What happened first? Uh, I, I, Return of the Jedi or Little Shop of Horrors? Oh. Uh, oh. That, that, that was definitely Little Shop of Horrors because yeah, that was a Roger Corman movie originally. Anyway. You know, I, I was more fascinated with all the new characters and mm-hmm. stuff in there. You know, every, every, every single character in Jabba's Palace has a name and an action figure. Salacious Crumb. Oh. Salacious Crumb. What yeah, a name. Yeah. I think that they named the pet. <laughs> the pet monkey, you know, is, and, and Jabba eating those like little frog things, yeah. uh, kind of kind of like it reminded me of of Dune, where they had like those juice boxes with the <laughs> little bugs and stuff in them. One of the uh, yeah, you no, know, I, I I don't watch these movies and go too deep into uh, social constructs and stupid yeah. shit like that. I I watch these movies and I enjoy them. That's and good. I have fun. It's like I don't ship anybody. That's not supposed to be shipped. I just I don't play those fucking games. They they piss me off. I'm, you're getting me mad now. Uh-oh. It's just it's Ugh. just I, I don't I don't give into your anger. You know, it's just like these these games these movies were made to enjoy to enjoy. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, I kind of dig. I not dig a for, little. I dig a little too deep into things sometimes. Not for people to go. Oh, I'm going to ship this person. This person. <laughs> did you guys get forty years after the movie's made? It's, that's not what this movie's about. Did you guys get a little teary eyed when? Uh, when Chewie and Han got reunited yes. in, in that oh, sure. little cell. I, I don't know about Teary-Eyed, but I definitely was happy to see them together. I love I how, love their friendship. I do. I love how Chewie pet, starts petting Han. <laughs> and Han's just like, okay, buddy. Okay, buddy. It's okay. There's, there's never been a, a character in any movie to me that can, that can show his emotions better than Chewbacca just by some <laughs> noises that he makes. Yeah. You know, it's like when Han got frozen into carbonite. You asked me what was an emotional moment in that movie. That was yeah, when Chewbacca screamed. When Chewbacca screamed, you know, yep. it was just like, yeah. And when Chewie gets Han back and he just grabs him, gives him a big old hug. Absolutely. Yeah. And Chewie's a hugger. You know, speaking of communicating emotion, like the end of this movie where you see Vader make the choice to save Luke. You're way ahead of us, bro. <laughs> <laughs> We're at Tatooine, man. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll table save that it. one. Save it. I'll table I it. do have a question. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, especially with Lando, I was wondering if this was intentional or if no one was checking pronunciations during filming because Lando always calls him Han. 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 And everyone else calls him Han and it irritates the shit out of me. It irritates the shit out of Han too. <laughs> yeah, and they actually make that a point yeah, in you, the you, Solo you, movie. You, you never saw Solo, but um, Donald Glover, who plays the young Lando, uh, intentionally mispronounces you know, Han's name uh, just to kind of get his goat. 
I guess. And it just kind of becomes like a thing. A thing. So yeah. it's a thing. Yeah. Okay. I think in reality, it's just how Billy D. Williams yeah. talks. Okay. Yeah. So hand, hand. there's hand. still time yeah. to save hand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So once we get off of Tatooine and we kind of, we, our, our heroes kind of separate again. Um, uh, Luke goes to Dagobah. Luke goes to Dagobah because he has a promise to keep. Well, he wants to finish his training, which is weird because you feel like he's, Come pretty far from the last time we saw him. He's got the robotic hand. He's kicking butt on Jabba's. He's hut. a man he's, of his word. He made his own lightsaber. Like you feel like he's pretty close. He said, to "I promise." Home. He did promise. And then um, Han, Han, Han. Don't do that. It bothers me. It bothers you. <laughs> I'm gonna ship a couple characters and bother Vader too, and get, <laughs> get that side of the table all oh, riled up. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna flip it. <laughs> Um, so Han, Chewbacca, and Leia, uh, and the droids too, mm-hmm. except, no, I guess it's just C-3PO, 3PO go off to meet up with the rebellion. So like the rescue mission has been completed. They've completed. I do, I do love when Luke made it a point to be like, uh, let's, let's make sure that we pick up the droids. Don't forget them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget the droids. Yeah. Don't forget them. <laughs> the feet sticking out. <laughs> 3PO's feet. Why yeah. didn't R2 just, you know, open up his rocket pack and fly around? God. Well, <laughs> we didn't know he had that ability. Yeah, we didn't know, we didn't know he had a, a fuel pack. Dave, well, Filoni, they just forgot to Dave fill Filoni didn't get a hold of him at that point. Yeah. <laughs> they just forgot to fill his gas tank. That's why he's been running on empty this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the relationship between R2 and Luke, though. Like, like you know, oh, the, the yeah. whole, like, you know, dog and, like, loyal dog and master relationship. Like R2 is loyal. Yeah, That's yes, for he sure. is. yes, he is. I love, it. I like, the part about, it, like, um, and yet Luke leaves them behind in the sequel trilogy. Whatever, dude. Shut up about the sequel trilogy already. We'll talk about that next week. I'm not coming next week. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. It's going to be a bad day. I just don't care about it's those It's going to be Alex and Danny. <laughs> and Danny. And Kate is just narrowing. Oh, I, 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 we're getting drunk next week. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! All right. So, Kadish, uh, now that we've talked about that, let's set the stage for the actual, like, the main plot of this movie. Set the mm-hmm. table for us. What happens in? Uh... So the emperor arrives, and uh, he has um, two things on his agenda. The first is to turn Luke Skywalker to the dark side, and the second is to crush the rebellion. And at this point in time, the rebellion has gotten the plans for the new Death Star from like uh, a network of Bothan spies. And um, they're kind of formulating a plan on how to destroy it and kind of deal like another crippling blow to the, the Empire. And at the same time, Luke is going to Dagobah to meet up with Yoda to complete his training. And the Emperor is, is like, well, you know, I know all this is happening. I've foreseen it because he's that powerful. And so he tells Vader that he wants his help in turning young Skywalker to their side and also that he's going to be luring the rebellion into a trap. And so the, uh, this movie is basically like these, um, two different stories, which end up becoming like three separate, like, uh, uh, subplots, um, in the climax of the film where you have Luke Vader and the emperor all kind of like facing off with one another. You have the, uh, Lando led attack on the death star from the space end of things and then you have the ground assault led by Han Solo and Princess Leia to get rid of the shield generator that's keeping the uh, vulnerable Death Star protected. And what nobody knows is that this new Death Star is actually fully functional. Its, it's super weapon is ready to go. And the Emperor plans to use it um, 
once the rebel fleet arrives to start destroying and dismantling their, their fleet ship by ship. And, uh, at the same time, that strategy is meant to provoke Luke Skywalker towards his path to the dark side. And so basically the minute the emperor shows up in this movie, uh, his evil machinations start taking effect, uh, right away. And it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at it within the context of how he manipulated things in the, the prequel trilogy, uh, to see that he's so powerful in the dark side that he can like almost see the future. And so he bases all of his plans off of that. And, it's just another example of how formidable the empire is where like they're always one step ahead of the good guys and the good guys come and they like just fall right into his trap and uh, uh, the famous Admiral Akbar. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. So um, basically that's what this movie is about. And we get to see the climax of every main character where Han and Leia kind of, you know, reconcile their relationship. Uh, Luke and Vader um, have their emotional climax where Vader is redeemed by saving Luke. The emperor is defeated um, and the rebellion overcomes the, the empire and all is right with the galaxy once more. Like it's, it's the perfect fairy tale ending to this. We see the Yub Yub song. Although I will, I will say that this is my least favorite of the original trilogy. <laughs> and I think a lot of that has to do with the Ewoks. I'm not a fan of the Ewoks. Really? Yeah. See, that's my favorite. I didn't, I, I never really, I mean, it was. I just found them too cutesy and I felt like they always just Me too. detracted from like the seriousness of the situation. I, I kind of see it, but I also, I mean, I'm, I'm born and bred on, on George Lucas's gospel. So I was kind of like growing up, like I kind of knew like George Lucas wanted to show that the emperor could be taken down by these like lesser forces that weren't as technologically advanced, but well, originally he wanted of, them to be Wookiees and the budget didn't, you know, are you um, sure about that? 100%. Originally he had them written like it. The, I, I thought the, I thought it was his, the person who actually wrote the screenplay did, did Wookiees and then he made it Ewoks. No, well he, he turned it into Ewoks after he found out that doing like the Wookiee thing was going to cost too much money. So like he scaled it back because he, he, the technology wasn't there to do what he wanted. How much money could it have been to make a couple of monkey suits and have people <laughs> run around? in? <laughs> I don't know if I believe he that. He's not, not a monkey. Come on. <laughs> a Wookiee. Sorry. Did I say monkey? Yes. I meant Wookiee. So racist. Man. That's nothing to do with what? <laughs> You're racist against Wookiees. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway. Wookiees a race. Uh, Jude. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> What is uh? What is there something about this movie that just you say you love the Ewoks? What is it about the Ewoks that you love so much? So this is one that I, the only one that I can remember having seen in my in my childhood. So it's just one of those nostalgic things that when I see it now, I see it as I did as a. I mean, I think I was like seven or eight when this came out, so I see it as that child, and it's just so cool. <laughs> I loved the, the Ewoks and I mean, all of my friends did too. And I still feel the same way about it. It's, it still holds that magic for me that it did when I first saw it. Yeah, I agree. I, th I think there is definitely something to be said about those Ewoks. And I don't know if it's because I, I saw the return of the Jedi. And then at the same time I watched the, uh, those Ewok adventure movies mm -hmm. that they made after. Yeah. The fact. I love those movies. <laughs> so like when I saw the Ewoks, it was just kind of like a, a continuation of what was in Return of the Jedi. I just, I, I love them. I, I, I don't, I don't think they were too, I understand when people say they're, they're kind of kiddish. It makes sense. Like sure. I, I can't really disagree with that, but I, I don't think it detracts from the movie. 
because they're so much fun to watch. Like they're mm-hmm. screwing with the stormtroopers and like stealing their bikes. And sh- you know, they got these, these I mean, I, the idea that they can make these, they're playful giant traps that like crush the ATST walkers and stuff like that. Yeah. I just, yeah, they're surprisingly formidable. They're surprised. Yeah. They're very surprisingly formidable. And there's their strength gr- is in their numbers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which I, I, but, but, I have but no I mean, problem with it. But I mean, they're, they're pretty ruthless too. Like they were going to eat. Hot. I know. Okay. <laughs> It's like I always think about that scene where uh, they get out of the trap and they're all like got the spears pointed at them yeah. on the ground. All of a sudden you're like, what's going on here? All these little teddy bears with spears. I don't know what I would do in that situation, but. Yeah. And if it weren't for 3PO, they'd have been screwed. Yeah. yeah. They would have been lunch. I, I just, I always thought it was like when I was a kid, I never thought about that yeah. until way, 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 way after the fact. Somebody was like, dude, the Ewoks are like going to eat people. Right. Well, like they're not all those people. dead. All those dead stormtroopers are like oh, they're dinner. They're yeah. just they're it's just like if we were if we were fighting with end. a herd of cattle, we're gonna eat them after. <laughs> <laughs> they're not sentient, <laughs> <laughs> so the stormtroopers don't count. <laughs> I just I never really thought That's about it me. when I was watching the movie, and I really wonder if it was something that they thought through when they were making the movie of like, hey guys, if we <laughs> we're having these Ewoks basically like. Essentially, eat the stormtroopers. Like, is that something that went through their head when they were, were writing? We're this? going there, guys. Is we're, everyone cool with it? Is everything okay? All right. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have these guys like just you know devour the leftover stormtroopers and play bongos on their skulls. <laughs> Great. <laughs> they gotta get their drums somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> gotta get their war drums. You know, and they sold a lot of Ewok toys too. So. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. teddy bears, Ewoks. They still sell. They're oh, still yeah. selling Ewok toys. Warwick Davis is out there. Uh, I mean, he was. Uh, Wicket, the, yeah. the the heart of the Ewok story is Wicket. Yeah, he was the one who found Princess Leia. Found Princess, which is a kind of a cool. That was a cool scene too. I mean, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but like once Leia, her and Luke go off on this little adventure and taking down these stormtroopers, so they don't get they don't get caught on Endor. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but the, the Kurosawa film, um, yeah, Hidden Fortress, that speeder scene. You don't hate to keep. I mean, you go ahead and bring it up. <laughs> I love I love to bring once. this up. Um, so um, you know this the speeder bike scene through the forest of Indoor, like that was actually directly inspired by a scene in uh, the the Hidden Fortress where uh, um, it was a horse chase, right? It was a horse chase yeah. uh, by uh, you know the the general character who protects the princess, and he's trying to race down these guys before they can uh, you know alert the the rival army about their presence. And so, like, uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny if you look at all, th- sorry, if you look at all three of the original trilogy films, like, there's little bits and pieces of the Hidden Fortress kind of peppered in throughout all three of them. Yeah. You know how they made that shot going through the redwood forest like that? I always thought this was really cool. But they just they, what, I always thought it was really cool how they made that shot with the with the the speeder bikes through the redwood forest. Is they took a camera and just walked the trail in the redwood forest at like. Super slow road. I got a story about that. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to hear it when you get your voice back together. I'm, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> so the speeder bikes. Yeah. I have no idea if this is true or not. But when I was in junior high school, when they were making this movie, this was before the movie came out. Okay. A friend of mine in junior high, in his locker, <laughs> had a picture of Polaroid of two guys in stormtrooper suits next to a speeder bike and i'm like what is that oh this is from the new star wars movie they're making my uncle is one of the stormtroopers in it what 
<laughs> so he had this picture and I always thought that was the coolest thing. You know, this, this kid, I'm not going to say his name cause he's a dick, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> he grew up bad, <laughs> but, uh, but I always thought that was the coolest thing that, that I had, I had knew a guy whose uncle was in yeah. Star Wars, you know, it was, it was just kind of cool. That is pretty cool. I wish I knew somebody was in Star Wars. Yeah. That guy sucked, but his uncle's probably cool. <laughs> yeah. His uncle's dope, <laughs> yeah. I know that the special effects in Return of the Jedi were like, you know, this monumental feat that, you know, ILM basically had to achieve. And part of that was the, the speeder bike scene. But uh, one of my favorite things, because, you know, when I first got into filmmaking, I wanted to be a special effects artist. So I was like studying ILM and all these you know stories about how they, they did these effects. And the final, like, space battle in, oh in, in this movie had so many moving parts. And this was like, you know, back when they had to like shoot all these things individually and composite them in together. And it was way more complicated than it is now where you just have computers do everything. Um, but there were so many different ships and moving parts that um, the, the special effects guys, I think John Dykstra um, in particular, uh, at one point, like he needed like stuff just to fill the frame. So he took off his shoe and put it, you know, like in one of the space scenes as like one of the ships. And really? so it's, yeah. And so like, I know there's a potato in the asteroid. Sh- yeah, uh, field. yeah. But, but, but there, <laughs> there's a scene in that final, um, final space battle where there's just this like upside down shoe floating in the background. Oh. looks like a spaceship. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's cool. And that was, that was just cause the special effects guys like ran, ran out of out ships of <laughs> to, to use, like ran out of models that they could actually use to put, you know, in, in there. The, the battle in, uh, in Return of the Jedi and the, the space battle with the X-Wing. I mean, that's got to be one of the best freaking space battles that was I've intense. ever seen. That was incredible. Hundreds? That, of, uh, hundreds? Yeah. Hundreds? Oh, easily. Yeah. TIE fighters in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember, you know, oh, there's like, too many of them. And, and the, the Falcon goes in between, yeah. like a whole fleet of Star Destroyers. They got this the star, uh, TIE and, and what was Inter- it called? TIE Interceptors. In, interceptors. They got the regular mm-hmm. TIE fighters. There's yeah. all I, kinds I, of I think the only thing on. that comes close is the, the final act of Rogue One. Yeah, but I mean, there's not even, I don't know if there's the same um, this sheer mass of of ships in the battle itself mm-hmm. like the battle in uh in return of the jedi is just epic proportions it's huge yep. it's the it it's the culmination of everything we've been watching for the last three movies and it's all coming to this one peak moment and you have the entire rebel fleet you have the in- was it the entire mm-hmm. imperial fleet too as well I don't know if it was the entire Imperial. Oh, no. a good but, portion but it, of it. it it was like the majority of it yeah. cuz they were there f- to protect the emperor yeah, it was just, oh man, I, I I have shots in my head that I, I can't not ever get out is like the A-wing get, got shot and it was like flipping and doing little tumbles and stuff remember, like that. And I remember when... <laughs> intensify uh, forward firepower! <laughs> it just blows up inside there. I remember when they showed the Executor. Oh, Vader's yeah. Vader's big flagship. It's Super like Star, 16, Star 16 yeah. miles long or whatever, you know, it's like, I thought that was the coolest ship ever. And then they plow it into the Death Star. <laughs> and I'm like, God. And all it took was like it. they just destroyed the two little, the two little bulbs yeah, on the top. Yeah. And that was all it was. It was like, all right, this ship's done. <laughs> well, the whole well, thing's going down. Well, they kamikaze the bridge. Yeah. 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 It was pretty crazy. I mean, that whole battle is just so much fun to watch. And I think one of my favorite parts of that is, uh, is watching Wedge and, and uh, Lando navigate the interior of the mm-hmm. Death Star and just all the piping and like the industrial complex of the whole thing and having to weave in and out of it. it just, it's incredible. Yeah. And it was at such high speeds. You want like, and the, when you're watching it, you're, you don't even realize that the amount of work that went into like, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff at, with the technology of that time. Oh, I, yeah. Like we're sitting here today where you can basically build all that stuff in the computer and get any angle you want at any speed. 
like back then each one of those things was like its own separate like thing that had to be shot and put together and made to like look cohesive, you know, as part of the film, uh, you know, some of the special effects don't really hold up uh, all that well, but considering what they had to work with, like, like it's very impressive. Yeah. And I introduced my favorite type of starfighter in Star the Wars. This movie is the B-Wing. That Ferenga thing is dope. <laughs> it like unfolds and it's got like the little pod thing that turns and the wings open up. I'm like, man, that is the coolest freaking ship. It's, it's even cooler than the X-Wing. I'm sorry. I said it. It's cooler than the X-Wing. My favorite Star Wars ship is the one that bombs at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> With the magnetic they just, bombs. They just kind of yeah. sit there and... You, you have to be directly overhead <laughs> of your wrong movie, movie. Wrong movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jude, uh, what are your feelings towards this final battle in, in the space thing? Do you have any, any fond memories of that scene or anything like that that, that stood out to you? No, not really. I think that you guys all uh, feel similarly with each other about which scenes you love. And I'm just like, eh, it's not for me. So I, I love the Ewoks and That's... I love the... Love story. <laughs> Jude was the little uh, girl. I yeah. hate to be this woman. <laughs> Jude, Jude with was the, the raging lady bits. Own it. Own it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I liked the cutesy stuff. I was an eight-year-old little girl when I saw this movie for the first time. And I think I think that might have been the last time I saw it before we watched it for this. You haven't watched it since then? I don't think so. Holy cow. Yeah, so that's... That's my history with this movie is just like watching it when I was a little girl and I was just like, oh, the Ewoks, they're so cute. What are you making hand gestures at me for? Jude was the little girl <laughs> that they had to make teddy bears for to put in Star Wars. They made it for the kids, all kids. Also, they gave a lot of little people jobs that they year. Did. They yeah, did. There's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> I need more to drink. <laughs> a lot of midgets getting chopped. Little people. Little people. You, you, uh, you know what carnies. is really... <laughs> I don't know if I can leave this. Small hands smell like cabbage. Oh, my God. Easily tossed. <laughs> hey, if Austin Powers can we do it, we can too, right? So, uh, oh, good you, Lord. You know one of the interesting things about Return of the Jedi is... It, it's one of the first movies that I can think of that actually use this like parallel storytelling technique where the, the climax of this movie is three different stories are going on at the mm-hmm. same time. And it, it's very hard to pull that off well. And I feel like this movie did that really well. And it was also probably one of the first to actually like do that, uh, at least like with three movies. I think it had been done with like two different storylines before, but three different storylines were, were being told here. There was, you know, Vader versus Luke. There was the, yeah. the space battle and there was the ground battle. And, you know, it, it's funny because uh, George Lucas employed this same technique with the end of The Phantom Menace where he had three different stories kind of like climaxing at the same time. And it pretty much parallels what happened in Return of the Jedi. Um, but uh, structurally, it's it's a very interesting like storytelling technique and you can tell Lucas's fingerprints were kind of all yeah. over that even though uh, Lawrence Kasdan, I think, helped write this script as well. Yeah, definitely. It kind of fleshed everything out because everything like everything, kind of ended at, at different points in The Phantom Menace. Like mm-hmm. the battle, the lightsaber battle with Maul ended at a different point than this. Well, same thing with, with this, but they were all kind of going concurrently. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. And I, I think it's cool that she you connect to uh, Jude. Sorry, I should say that so people that aren't watching. Jude connects with the love story. You're talking about Han and Leia yeah. and, and their whole thing like, 
Yeah. And I, I love the point, the point where she reveals to Han Solo that he's her brother and he was all jealous and he was <laughs> yeah. like, I'll stand aside. And I just liked that I've interaction, noticed. that, that, that dynamic between him and his, I mean, they were pals, they were brothers, they, they were family, Yeah, you know? And he was like, well, if you love Luke, I'll put my feelings aside and I will stand aside. And he was, I mean, he wasn't happy about it. He was pretty salty about it. He's got chewy. But He's yeah, chewy. yeah. <laughs> chewy will keep me warm at night. And, she, and and it was just like the reveal that, no, I love him because he's my brother and you're my man. <laughs> I mean, sorry, but not sorry. I love that. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah, I don't remember it that way. You don't remember it that way? It's because you were a boy and you were like, look, lightsabers. It's like, ew. <laughs> they kissed. They're going to kiss. Gross. Um, I think I think the biggest, besides the space battle, which obviously I just geek out about every time, but I, I think the the real thing that's, that kind of brought this movie home for me is uh, the battle between Vader and, and Luke. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my gosh, man. How powerful was that? Like, he walks... Like, I like love, when that movie... Or when the music swells and they're, like, fighting each other. Oh, my goodness. It's insane. But even before that, like, when Luke goes in there and he's just, like, a cocky little shit, you know? And he's like, your overconfidence is your weakness. <laughs> <laughs> your friends and your faith is yours. <laughs> <laughs> or your faith and your friends. I said it wrong. God damn it. Um, I, I just... I, I love that interaction between them where, where Palpatine's just sitting there just taunting Luke, trying to get him to move... To, Make a move, kid. I yeah. know you want this lightsaber. Just do it. Do, do it. it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> but, but you know what's interesting about that scene is that, um, you know, so the entire time Luke is trying to walk this fine line between resisting, trying to, like, actually kill Vader, uh, but at the same time, you, you know, like, facing off with him. And Yoda always said, like, you know, your final challenge is going to be, you know... To confront Vader. Confronting Vader. And the Emperor's, like you know, whole plan. It, it seems like, you know, the minute Luke gives into his anger is the minute, you know, he's lost basically. And if you look at the fight, you know, Luke is, is playing things like super cool up to the point where Vader targets Leia. Like he discovers mm -hmm. Leia's his sister and that he's going to like, you know, hurt her or at, you know, he's like, I can corrupt her after I kill you. Yeah. And Luke's Achilles heel has always been his loyalty and love for his friends and family. And that moment is when Luke loses it because he, he's like, okay, this isn't about me anymore. I have to protect my sister. And that's when he goes after Vader and that's when he defeats Vader. And in that moment, you know, uh, where, you know, his, his passion for his family kind of overcomes his, his Jedi calmness, that's when the Emperor feels like he's won. And, you know, like Vader's at his mercy. He's cut off, you know, Luke's cut off Vader's hand. And the Emperor's coming down like, good, good. Yeah. And, and Luke realizes, you know, like, you know, I lost my hand just like my father. And um, in that moment, Luke realizes that in the very first movie, he set out what his character's journey was going to be. He said, I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. And in that moment when he realizes that, you know, he just cut off the hand of his dad and, and he lost his hand. He realizes I'm just like my father right now. And I have to make the same decision my father made. And he throws away his lightsaber and he, he's like, and he stands up to the emperor and he says, I, re I reject you. And I am now a Jedi just like my father before me. And that's the culmination of his character arc. Yeah. Yep. And it's so poetic and beautiful and so well done. 
And that's just a moment where like, it just, it gets me right in the chest where I'm, I'm just like, Oh God, yeah, that, that's so, so good. good. And there's a, there's a cool little callback and I, I have to bring some attention to the prequels. I know we kind of talked crap about them in the last podcast, but um, there's a moment where that very same uh, thing happens to Anakin when he's going up against Dooku in uh, revenge of the Sith. And he takes on the guy who had cut off his arm arm and he's going up against him and he gets the better of him. And then instead of throwing down his saber, like Luke does, he cuts Dooku's head off. And that was the moment where he kind of like set his path moving forward. Yep. So like, the thing that I, when I argue with people about Luke and his character, especially now that the sequels have come out is like Luke, Luke was always the one who was meant to be better than everybody else. He was better. He made better decisions than his father did. He made better decisions than Yoda and Obi-Wan did. And that's what set him apart. And that's what was the only dividing factor between who he was and his father and how he got his father to turn back to the light was because he was so pure and so believing in his father's redemption. Yeah. And, and Yoda and, and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi had both given up on Vader mm-hmm. at this point. They were like, this is when the line comes in. He's more machine rather than man, twisted and evil. You must confront Vader. I can't kill my own father. You know, I, I can't bring myself to do that. And he's like, well, then the Emperor's already won. Like, Obi-Wan didn't see any other way out of this, but Luke did. And yeah. that's, the, that's what sets him apart from all the other Jedi. And I'm like, why don't people understand this? <laughs> and I, I also feel like this is the moment when, uh, when Luke says to uh, the emperor, like, I am just like my father. I feel like there was a power in this moment. And this is really what made Vader turn against the emperor. It, I, don't, I don't feel like it was really the, the moment of watching the emperor torture his son. I feel like it was the moment where his son said, I'm just like you. Yeah. And the, one of the most amazing parts about this scene where, you know, Vader saves Luke and kills the emperor is that I've never, I guess they've kind of done this in the Mandalorian a little bit, but the amount of emotion that you're getting from Vader, even though his face is just a static mask, like the way they use the camera and the head movements of the actor and stuff like that. Like you see him make that decision to save Luke um, at the expense of his own life and to redeem himself, even though he has no facial expression whatsoever. Yeah. And it's such a powerful moment. And one of the things that I really hated about rewatching it with the special edition is in the original theatrical version, Vader is silent when he makes this decision. He just goes, picks up the emperor, uh, lifts him up and throws him over the thing. But in the special edition, he says, no, no. What? Yeah. And it's a callback to the end of Revenge of the Sith. Not on my no. DVD, he doesn't. Yeah. On the Disney Plus version? Hashtag not my Star Wars. <laughs> he says no? Like he does in Revenge of the Sith? Yeah. I, I got to go watch that again now. Oh. I'm blanking. I watched it last night, and when that happened, I was like, you got to be kidding me. No, I have the DVDs from the 90s. Like, that's my, those are my Star Wars movies. I, I, don't, I didn't watch these on Disney Plus. He says no? In the special edition, he does. Ah. That kind of ruins that that whole moment. Yeah, it 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 really undercuts it. Oh, oh! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. (laughs) God damn it, George! (laughs) 
but it is a great emotional climax okay, yeah. Yeah. for that relationship. Gosh, all right. I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how good is Ian McDermott in this friggin' movie? I mean, he plays Ian McDermott. McDermott? McDermott. There is a D at the end of the name. McDonald's. Yeah, Ian right. McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Ian McDermott. Palpatine, um, Palpatine. Yeah. Something, something, something dark side. Dark side. <laughs> Into your I think he gets that into every podcast at least once. It's my favorite voice to do. <laughs> my favorite character to play when Kadish and I are alone. <laughs> yeah, she role, role plays Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> my wife and I ever get into an argument, I'm always like, I can feel your anger. Oh, I bet that pisses her off. <laughs> she does. It does so bad. It's so funny, though. Uh, all right. So, what else do we have to talk about? Return of the Jedi. Um, I just I, I I can't praise the uh, the the epic conclusion enough as far as like when it comes to uh, Vader and Luke. Um, but there's a couple of things I can we kind of skipped over a little bit. Is uh, how did you guys feel about Yoda and his death sequence oh, and so that kind of that kind of reveal of like you know there is another Skywalker. Like his final <laughs> words to that. Like um, Vader, you watched it in theaters. Did, do you remember anything like, what is he talking about? Like, who's the other Skywalker? Yes, vaguely. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. It's like, oh, there is another. Okay, oh, whatever. <laughs> There's another. <laughs> we figure it out, you know, so. I always, I always get choked up in that scene, though, because, like, you know, Luke's just like, Master Yoda, you can't die. And he's like, strong in the Force am I, but not, not that, that strong. strong. It's yeah. just, it's, I'm just like, oh. Palpatine was that strong, though. Yeah, so, so can we talk about, like, so we all know Palpatine comes this back. It's going to be like nine. the four hour podcast. <laughs> it's, it's the original like, trilogy. It's, it's at about three hours now. I yeah. think. <laughs> so we all know Palpatine comes back in episode nine. Yeah. And when Vader kills him, he throws him over the Vader side. Vader kills him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. So he throws Palpatine down that, that pit and we never see Palpatine like die. We just see, kind of see this explosion. Type yeah. Thing. Blue light explosion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's this theory that, you know, Palpatine, having learned the ways of immortality from um, Darth Plagueis, uh, basically he erupted into dark force energy before he died and was somehow able to reform despite the Death Star blowing up. And the Palpatine that we see in Episode Nine is that reformed, like, Palpatine who's all misshapen because, you know, he didn't reform at 100%. What do you guys think of that theory? None of this makes any freaking sense. I, I've never had a problem with that dark energy theory. I, I always kind of thought something along those lines would could happen. You know, like I remember I used to I read a what, what was that comic book series that came out and had Sidious clones and stuff in it. Mm. It kind of touched dark, on that. Well, Shadow of the Empire. Shadow of the Empire. Yeah, like I haven't that. read it in a long time, but uh, that that whole concept of the dark energy of making him that all this evil force flowing out and everything that I was kind of thought that's what that was mm. to begin with. So, yeah. Cause like the whole concept of the Jedi who become one with the force, that's how they achieve mm -hmm. immortality. But the dark side doesn't go back to the source of the force. Like they continue to kind of like stay separate from, you know, the core of the force. And so like they're able to like reform yeah. based off of the strength of their will or, or hatred or something like that. So I just find that dichotomy interesting, but this is, this is pure headcanon oh, <laughs> at yeah, this point, sure. you know, like trying to justify this. Yeah. I, I don't like it, man. I, I like the idea that Palpatine died at the end of her. I, I always kind of like the idea of Palpatine having a secret base somewhere with a bunch of different clones of himself in it. 
So if he died, he could just transfer his essence into yeah. another one. All this pokem pocus bullshit that they did in the last movie, they, they did it. They did it wrong. Jars, <laughs> jars of just, Snoke. Jars yeah, of Snoke. Yeah, it's just it's stupid. But yeah. I don't know. Yes, I mean I, I get it because I didn't I didn't mind it when I when I saw those comics and stuff like that. I'm like, oh okay, it kind of makes sense if they want to bring the Emperor back. That's how they're going to do you know, it. I, but, I, I like that. You know, if the Jedi can come back and live forever as Force goes, I don't have any issues with 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 Sith being able to do something similar. I like the whole concept in the comics of them being able to put their essence in like a container, like a mask. Oh yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. That's that's a a really cool story. Um, you know, the whole, uh, what are the triangle things? Uh, the holocrons, you know, putting their essence in a holocron so they can teach, teach their pupils later on with that kind of stuff yeah it's it's all cool it's, it's really too bad star wars doesn't have any source material to pull from i know it's crazy <laughs> gosh man it's almost like i watched that like i watched that video today of kathleen kennedy well you know we don't have any like novels or comic books or anything to pull on from to make these our new videos and we're just like what? well you did what <laughs> stupid bitch oh, no. <laughs> i don't know dang all right. Any closing thoughts on Return yeah, of the Jedi? Yeah, Matt Vader is not wrong. No, he's, <laughs> I can't argue with him. Um, we, we've gone far too long on this, but is there any closing <laughs> thoughts on Return of the Jedi? Uh, any, I think oh, it, favorite moments. What's your favorite moment? Um, definitely the final face-off with Vader where Luke says, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jedi like my father before yeah. me. Like that, that culmination of Luke's arc is just, wow, it's perfect. perfect. Jude, what's your favorite moment in this movie? Um, I like this whole movie start to finish. Oh, wow. Um, but, um, I don't know that it's necessarily my favorite, but I think something that stands out for me is the scene where, um, Luke, um, turns himself in and he has that, it's not a confrontation, but it's just a conversation Ooh, with yeah. Vader. Yeah, that's a great scene. Yeah. That is a, it's great, a great scene. scene. It's the, f- the only time that Luke and Vader are together when they're not fighting. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they just kind of like check each other to see where each other stands and it's just yeah. like, okay. So you've accepted- All right. You've accepted so let's the go truth. on from here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin. Yeah. It's yeah. a real, it's I'm real, doing it. We know you know I'm those lines. doing it. it okay. it's, a, it's a real prodigal son moment. And, yeah. and it's the only, like, it's the first and only scene we get to see of, like, the possible relationship that these two characters have outside of the antagonistic one. Vader gets shook when he's like, that name no longer has any meaning. Yeah. Like, he's like, whoa, how do you know? Yeah. Who, who do you know that is? <laughs> who yeah. told you that was my well, name? Like, like his turn back to the light side really starts in that scene. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a moment where he's like, wow, that's my kid. That's weird. I and mean, he's always got that connection to, to Padme. And I think that's. Yeah, we have the, that's my man moment. And we have the, that's my boy yep. moment. <laughs> that's my son. Uh-huh. Go, son. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, like you know, when Luke has Vader at his mercy and the Emperor's like, kill him and join and take your place at my side. And then, like, when he doesn't kill him, if I was Vader, I'd, I'd, I'd have killed Palpatine anyway. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> be like, like, dude, you, you, yeah, you, you just wanted to kill me. <laughs> uh, Vader, what's your favorite part of this movie? Probably the final confrontation yeah. at the end. Yeah. It's hard to I mean, say that's the culmination else. of the whole trilogy, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree. I think besides the space battle, which I think is just absolutely oh, it's epic, it's fantastic. Uh, it has to be the fight between Luke and Vader, the whole thing. Yeah. And you know, the only reason why Luke won that battle was because he had the high ground <laughs> consistently. That's true. He consistently had the high ground. He was on top of the stairs for half of it, and then he was jumped up yeah. on the catwalk, and, and then the rest of and, it. And he's always, Vader's always like, Obi-Wan taught you well. Yeah. You, you know, if, if Vader had been burning up into heap of uh, of uh, fire 
<laughs> Luke wouldn't have left him there like that. Jedi. No, no, because Luke is a better Jedi than Obi Wan. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I believe that's my I, core. That, that scene's always pissed me off. <laughs> Why don't you just leave him there? <laughs> What a jerk, man! Well, it's just, okay. well, he learned that from Qui Gon. I know we're supposed it's to ridiculous. we're supposed to stop and talk about something else now, but seriously, like Obi Wan kind of comes off as a dick in this movie because he's like, from a certain point of you view, you told me that Vader destroyed and murdered my father. He's <laughs> like, well, why did you leave him of charred, burned husk <laughs> on the side of a lava river? Technically, I told you the truth, but not really. Semantics. <laughs> You're lucky you're not flesh and blood because I slice you open. That was that was Kazdin trying to do some narrative backflips, trying to settle that plot hole. (laughs) Also, Luke is a better um, Jedi because, like, Vader had been trained by Obi, but Luke had been sort of trained a little bit by Obi Wan Kenobi, but also by Vader too, or not um, by Yoda also. So, I think there's a, a huge. Difference in the kind of Jedi that is created by the training of Obi-Wan versus the trainer training of Yoda. Uh, yeah. I also think like in the old Republic era, like Jedi just, they were so divorced of their emotions that they lost sight of, you know, things like com- compassion exactly. and, and, you know, this idea of fairness and, and being loyal to your friends and believing in something like, yeah. you know, greater than yourself. Exactly. Because in, in like a prequel era uh, training sequence with Yoda and some young Padawan learner, if he were to say, no, you're going to stay here and train on Dagobah, don't go after your friends. Like in the prequel era, the, the apprentice probably would have been like, okay, I got to do what my master says. As opposed to Luke, who grew up with those emotions and has a strong attachment to his family. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this because this is the right thing to do. And I, I, I do think that Luke is the best Jedi in all of these movies. He until episode eight, shut the top. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> on that note <laughs> I would like to thank all of our listeners for listening to the salty nerd podcast. We really do appreciate it. You guys are helping us grow this show. Uh, if you guys would like to support us, please go to salty It will take you directly to iTunes. If you use Apple or it will also take you directly to Google play. If you are an Android user and, um, Be sure to help us out on our ultimate goal of getting 50,000 followers. What is that? 50,000 subscribers uh, by tweeting, Instagramming, Facebook, TikTok, whatever. We're on everything. Just go talk to us. Uh, help us grow our channel. Um, we're only going to get better. We're only going to have cooler, more fun content talking about movies and TV shows, and we need your help to do it. So go to <laughs> saltynerdpodcast.com, saltynerd.com if you want to check out all of our stuff uh, and our website. And uh, yeah, thanks very much, guys. We really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, signing off, Matthew Kadish, where can they find you on the socials? At Matthew Kadish, K-A-D-I-S-H, and kadishbooks.com. And may the force be with you. Jude, where can they find you? At I am the Palpatine. (laughs) (laughs) Palpatine, Palpatine. At I am Jude Juju on Instagram and Twitter. Right on. And you got book reviews. Do you have another one coming out? I know you just did Handmaid's Every Friday. Yeah. Every Friday. Every Friday on YouTube. SaltyNerdVideo.com. All good. (laughs) You had to finish it for (laughs) Matthew Vader. Matt Vader 74. Where can they find you? Well, you just said it. I did, didn't I? (laughs) At Matt Vader 74. We've been talking for too long. I'm starting to lose it a little bit. I really got to go to the bathroom. All right, guys. Have a great night and may the force be with you.
Hey everybody, this is Salty from the Salty Nerd Podcast here to remind you that we are a member of the Red 5 Network. If you would like to support other podcasts just like this one, you can go to red5network.com. Red 5, all wings report in.